You may be busy doing something while you listen to this podcast, but you're never too busy to eat healthy if you eat Vite Ramen. This podcast is sponsored by Vite Ramen. Show support for a sponsor that supports Moore's Law is Dead at the link in the description. And if you do, make sure you use offer code BROKENSILICON. And you can also support Moore's Law is Dead if you need Windows keys or software at cdkeyoffer.com. If you go there, also use the code BROKENSILICON for 25% off Windows keys or Die Shrink for 3% off everything else on the website. All right, now let's get on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and I am uh, joined today by housemate, Dan. <laughs> so if you'll notice, Dan is in a very different setting. I would hope you like the paint that I chose for that room in the house. It's a much nicer looking background uh, than the hotel you were in while you finished up uh, work at grad school. Uh, yeah, I think it's a bit nicer. <laughs> Well, you've, and, and I take quite a compliment to this, although I guess it's not really saying much that you've been enjoying the home-cooked meals here much more than getting takeout for a week or two. Uh, yeah, that got old pretty quickly, so <laughs> I'm enjoying having actual good food again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I'm trying to think of, because when I went to college, I pretty much... You know, at Michigan Tech, I pretty much just did the cafeteria food. Um, If I didn't, it was because I was, it was like the last year and I actually had a little money to go out with friends to Mm -hmm. the local Applebee's or another similarly fancy place (laughs) when I was younger. And, uh, you know, besides that, I just, I I basically, yeah, I, I basically went from that to just cooking for myself every night and I, I pretty much cook for us here every night as well and it's funny because i don't think i ever went through a phase where i ate a whole lot of takeout ever. no I, I try to eat I, I try to cook my own food whenever i can so <laughs> it's a lot i think it's generally better than uh eating takeout slash food every night so <laughs> yeah but i don't but that would you, was that the longest amount of time you kind of did that though? Would you even yeah. say? Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I, I when I was in uh, like undergrad for for the most part, I I lived in uh, apartments three out of the four years I was there, so I was even eating my own cooked food for most of college. So I only had like one year of the dorm food experience, but the dorm food there was generally pretty good, and there were options that weren't like greasy. And there yeah. was fresh food there still. So, yeah. So I don't know how atypical it is, but I think, yeah, I can speak for both of us definitely and say that, you know, our mom or dad would always pretty much cook every, mo- obviously not every night, but most nights when we were younger. And then in college with a cafeteria food, but that wasn't really the same as like takeout. It was decent yeah. quality. And then, the second we were out of college, we cooked for ourselves. And that's pretty much <laughs> yeah. something that pretty much everyone in our family does. Everyone in our family just cooks. It's just something we do. And I don't think we've ever gone through any phase of eating takeout. So I, I, I 
definitely feel bad for you, but I don't know how much I can empathize because it's crazy to realize I don't think I've ever done it. Yeah, it's not fun. So I'm hoping to not have to eat takeout a ton <laughs> in the near future. Actually, you we'll know, see. the longest, the most I ate takeout really was driving to Michigan Tech and Upper Michigan from Central Illinois between the ages of like, you know, 18 through whatever it was, like 22. And <laughs> like that nine hour drive of just knowing if you want KFC, get it before you get to the upper half of Wisconsin because they just only have Subway there. That's it. <laughs> That's all you're eating, basically, is that and Culver's at a certain point. <laughs> and every and if you wanted KFC or some other thing like that, Illinois, southern southern Wisconsin, above that, nothing but Subway. It was weird. I do have to say, I, I ate Taco Bell one night there uh, while I was there, and I never had like stomach issues from Taco Bell when I was younger, but I haven't eaten it for probably like seven plus years now, and it did not sit right with me anymore. <laughs> so, now you no never, Taco Bell. You've never had the special Taco Bell that's in downtown Nashville, have you? They're one of their experimental sites where they actually use good ingredients. Mm, I mean, no, I haven't. <laughs> okay, well, we'll have to make sure we do that while you're here. But uh, Dan is here um, in Nashville, at least for a little bit, which is fun. Uh, let's get yeah. to some of these opening reader mails. King Harkinian writes in and says, I'm betting $10,000 that you can't collaborate with primitive technology to make a big video series from Stone Age technology all the way to modern computing. What do you mean I take, would you say I'm taking zero risk by making this bet? I'd say it's not zero risk. Um, you know, I looked up this channel and they are absurdly at least high in subscriber count on YouTube. So I don't think it's ever going to happen. Not to mention, I don't know that I really have that much interest in even remotely looking into this. This is one of those channels for those who don't know where they, and I think I've seen it before, I actually try to replicate making things people made in the past, but not just something like a bow and an arrow or a spear. This guy goes as far as to try to make his own iron smelting yeah. <laughs> and like actually making things out of metal, which I find interesting. But uh, $10,000, you know, if you up that anymore, I might go, well, let me, you know, maybe I'll just play the long game and see if I can befriend this guy <laughs> over the course of five years to make that money. Just uh, see if he's also into PC gaming and try to get him on for a podcast. Who knows? Maybe guess he he's. Well, you know, I, I say I would guess he's not, but you'd be surprised. I mean, I think a lot of people think that, like, because I have a tech podcast, um, everything I do must involve a computer. When in reality, I'm kind of a luddite when it comes to a lot of stuff, and I don't use technology as often as I think some people do. And a lot of my spare time is outside. Oh yeah, I know and. Yeah, it's which, funny. Which why would you expect me to always use tech? That's all I do for work. I might just want to go camping after that. Uh, yeah, I, I mean that's what that guy does for fun. I think he's just some Australian dude, though. I don't think he like lives in the wilderness. So exactly. So that would all come down to like how much of this is like this is actually what he does all day, and how much of this is actually because this is a job to him. Maybe in his free time, he would be considering talking to this channel <laughs> and earning me $10,000 from King Harkinian. Yes. I'll have to think about it, though. Um, all right. Let us get to the corrections, which we actually have some today. So, of course, if you support Moore's Law is Dead on Patreon, 
and the, there's a proper Discord channel for it. If you see something you believe are wrong, you're you're allowed to submit corrections to things that we say. Carmen Cry writes in, like he often does for corrections, and says, In Broken Silicon 219, you and guest Max from High Yield claimed that MI300 is the most complex design around. This is clearly wrong and shows you to be an AMD fanboy, including Max. As everyone knows, Intel's Ponte Vecchio has double the active dies. It is very disappointing to see you be so AM delusional. Forget such a groundbreaking product. What's next? Are you going to say that Arc Battle Mage isn't going to run circles around the Titan? The Intel bias is real here. Good point. Well, of course, getting past the goofy parts of that. Oh, I, it's, you know, it's funny how I just assumed no one would say anything about it. But of course, Carbon Cry did. I did clock that when I said it. <laughs> he goes like this is like crazy complicated and i was like well it actually doesn't look as complicated as ponte vecchio as some of the other things but yeah i mean to be fair i guess yeah i guess though there's a, a real usefulness to this correction though i'm pointing out that and that navi 4c leak uh thing i put out about and everyone said this looks so complicated amd was going insane with chiplets for the top and rdna4 configuration that it seems like is going to be canceled it's still mm-hmm. actually, like, if you think about, let me think, one, two, three. It still probably wouldn't have been really more complicated than MI300, probably, especially not for the 42 variant, from what I've kind of heard. Mm-hmm. And it is actually far from the most complicated thing out there that is Ponte Vecchio. So I think that's worth pointing out because I think there's somewhat of a misconception out there that, like, especially people that probably saw that leak on an article on a website, but didn't see the context around it. Just because AMD is going with some design that has multiple base tiles and a few graphics chiplets or nine graphics chiplets or something, yeah. you know, and then a couple of IO tiles and all of this, that this was the most crazy thing ever. And it was just canceled because it was too complicated. There actually are more complicated things out there that have been made. So it isn't just because of that. And I think the reason it was canceled is because AMD doesn't think it's worth the money to get it done now right? It's not that they don't think they can do it. And also once that work's done, it's done. I mean, they can just keep upgrading the chiplets that fit into the same spot. Think about Zen 2 through seemingly Zen 5 where IO chip, chip, you know, CPU chiplets, there's probably a lot of work put into that initially. After that, they're just updating the chiplets. And it's, it's worth pointing out because the idea isn't entirely silly uh like an unfeasible like to pay for it's just when is it worth paying that money because once it's yeah, paid yeah. they'd probably use that elaborate design for like four generations in a row yeah and it might just not be worth bringing to market as a like consumer general consumer product uh something that complicated uh but probably will be at some point <laughs> we'll see I would still guess that it's going to be with RDNA 5, unless, you know, who knows, we hear that they have some, you know, competing design that uh, makes more sense to them, both economically and performance-wise. And, and, you know, again, like, this is to bring up, just to round out this, like, kind of recap of that leak again, the reason they wouldn't just do what they did with RDNA 3 again is because so much work goes into finalizing a design. If you're going to switch it, it better be a huge increase. And they were probably like, well, Navi 31 and RDNA 3, this is something that's kind of like Zen 1. So this really isn't worth doing twice in a row. We did this to learn how to do all of it. And then the next thing we do better be the thing we build on for years because it's expensive. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the 
Evil Muppet writes in and says, a correction, die sizes are stated as millimeters squared regularly, even though this is incorrect. The correct unit is square millimeters. Now, he spells it with millimeters with the end of that word being T-R-E-S. And I think that's very telling because occasionally in the comments, I see people saying that it's wrong that I say millimeters squared. It's always with that spelling. They always don't spell it correctly in English and then tell me I'm saying it wrong. And I actually looked around, and this was actually discussed with Max from High Yield and then in the comments by people. In some British circles, in a lot of American circles, that is how we say it. That is how people at AMD say it to me, Intel, NVIDIA. That's how they say it, and so that's why I say it. And They are the same thing, too. <laughs> I know. They are the same thing, and I've actually heard that in other languages it doesn't directly translate. But no. I've never seen anyone correct me that I can't say millimeters squared unless they're spelling millimeters wrong in my language, the language of this channel, which is English. So Unless they're using the fake spelling of millimeters. <laughs> the fake spelling, which, to be fair, comes from France, so might argue that's not maybe the more, you know, more of the lineage to actually the creation of the metric system. But no, I mean, look. I'm just bringing this up because this is something I occasionally see, and it's always from someone who's clearly from Europe. That is how we say it in America sometimes, and I'm not going to stop doing it. So please stop spamming, please. Or please. keep spamming when you say the a slight variation, something that's a slight variation on what British people say, because British people, Tom, do have to insist that they are correct about everything with English. Even though... I don't get into it, but <laughs> we're not going to go down the rabbit hole of American versus English versus actually Australian and a bunch of other pronunciations and spellings. Not worth it. Uh, Technolads writes in and says, in Broken Silicon 220, which I believe would have been the one before the last guest, yeah, he goes, uh, at the one hour, I'm not going into the timestamp, says, when talking about the 7700 <laughs> XT being priced at 450 Dan suggested that it might have to do with them having a lot of RX 6800s to go through. And then you said, that is what it probably is. So I was told they still have a lot of Navi 22 sitting around, but 68, the 6800 is based on Navi 21. Right, I was just talking about the concept. Dan, you brought up a card that they might want to get rid of. And yeah. I was saying, I literally know they have a lot of Navi 22 left. But it mm -hmm. also applies to Navi 21, Technolads. Yeah. Come on, Technolads. I know the 6800 is from Navi 21. I have a bizarre memory of these things that we constantly talk about. It's just the concept itself as I was adding on to the conversation. Um, but speaking of, uh, <laughs> speaking of, again, the two product, not the one product, let us move on to story number one. RX 7800 XT and 7700 XT reviewed. All right, and here is the write-up. And of course, there's a lot of links in the description from various reviews of these graphics cards for those who want to look at what we referenced. On September 6th, AMD indeed launched and allowed reviews for their mid-range RDNA 3 and Navi 32 products. In summary, the $500 7800 XT is a 256-bit 60 compute unit product that manages to just barely edge out the RX 6800 XT on average while consuming around 12% less energy. And the $450 7700 XT is a 192-bit 
54 compute unit product that trades blows with the old ARC 6800 while consuming similar levels of energy. But of course, the performance is never what really matters in the mid-range, where you rarely expect the performance to go beyond the top end of last gen. No, it's the price performance in the mid-range that matters. And here, both cards managed to top the charts in value. That's right. The 7800 XD is the best bang for your buck mid-range card on the market right now. And the 7700 XD, as demonstrated by Hardware and Boxed, is the second best value as well. So if you remove the 7800 XD from the equation, the 7700 XD is still a good value card compared to literally everything else out there. But of course, they are still awkwardly priced close to each other. But as noted in previous Moore's Laws Dead videos, like that 7800 XD benchmark leak, this is likely to take advantage of the Starfield Premium Bundle on a new sub-$500 card that trounces the 4060 Ti. And over time, people should expect most of the volume to transition towards the 7800 XD right? just because they're shipping half of each card right now does not mean that's what they're going to do forever they're probably just getting rid of the like 10 percent of yields mm -hmm. that actually need to be disabled um well the 7700 is then allowed to fall in price probably a bit below 450 in fact in an interview scott herkelman basically directly said aibs will drop lower priced versions of it eventually but the pricing isn't also the interesting decision amd made the names are too if we're being honest, the 7800 XT is really an RX 6800 or arguably a 6750 XT replacement, not really a 6800 XT successor, but that doesn't change its value. And this writer really doesn't have more to say about it outside of pointing out to people in the recent video that well NVIDIA, well, I'm sorry, well AMD probably thinks they are playing 3D chess by having these weird names. It's probably a pretty big mistake for the Radeon brand, but I spent half of the recent video talking about that, so I'm not going to regurgitate the whole opinion again. Oh, and the other thing to point out that was actually cut from the video that I put out about these uh, cards launching is that the uh, 7700 XT is apparently an insane overclocker, with websites being able to get 15 to 20% performance am. increases out of it. So I have to say, Considering overclock to overclock, this card is probably really only 10% to 15% behind the 7800 XT. If the 7700 XT ever was like 20% cheaper, like if it ever dropped below $420, I would probably recommend the 7700 XT over the 7800 XT uh, for 1080p high refresh gamers because you're just going to max out every game at that resolution anyways, or possibly even 1440p gamers that are willing to overclock and genuinely do want to save more than $50. All right, so that was the write-up for these graphics cards, Dan. Um, Compressed Earthbox writes in and asks, how do you ultimately feel about Navi 32? Oh, I, I mean, I feel like the our conversation we had about it on the last podcast remains relatively unchanged because I don't think the reviews throwed any massive curveballs about what the 7700 XT or the 7800 XT were going to be. Uh, and that is, they both bring <laughs> they are both the best priced uh, performance cards on the market right now at that price point the only thing that's better to my memory uh, at least from hardware unboxed is the 6800 is still slightly better at four hundred dollars which four hundred dollars versus 450 or something yeah. yeah and then the 6700 xt which is a tier in, or yeah tier in performance below this anyways is still the price performance king Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, where things sit right now, as far as pricing goes, the cards I think I would recommend are like the 6700 XT, 
Maybe the 6800 XT, while the stock of that is still drying up, the 7800 XT, I would recommend over the 6800 XT if the prices are the same. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I saw weird like, comments about the 6800 XT supposedly being a better buy, which was bizarre to me. Like, no, yeah, at the a, same price, the 7800 XT, by 99% of averages, is stronger, uses less energy, better at ray tracing, better features, better software support. You would get the 7800. Like, if, if it, the 6800 XT is 50 bucks cheaper or something, maybe I would still go for that. But. It would for me. It would have to be at least that much because you're you're telling me to get a less efficient card that doesn't support some of the newer software, and yeah. it's slightly weaker. I'd say at least ten percent cheaper. Yeah. Uh, so where things sit, I think the seventy eight hundred XT becomes the new card to recommend if you're looking to get any performance anywhere between a sixty seven hundred XT and like a seventy nine hundred XTX slash forty eighty. This seems to be the card to get. I mean, the only other thing that's really worth humoring at all is the 4070 Ti and the price performance. You mean 4070, you keep saying Ti every episode, Dan. (laughs) Is the 4070, but the 4070 needs to drop to like $450 or $550, I think, to really be worth considering getting over like the 7800 XT because of the expanded features it has with NVIDIA. But I don't know. This uh, 7800 XT is kind of i think the best card to release or the best release for lovelace or rdna3 um i don't know i mean (laughs) i i i obviously think the name is stupid but that isn't a reason to not get it that's just more a criticism of amd muddling their branding because for some reason they have to muddle their branding with graphics cards and at the end of the day, I'm more worried about what that means for AMD's future if they're going to have to jump ship from the Ugh. X from the branding they've had since RDNA one came out because RD- <laughs> Radeon can't keep the same branding for more than three generations. So lately, for some reason, I, I don't know because they went three thousand, four thousand, five thousand, six thousand, seven thousand. Technically, eight thousand was OEM only. Those oh six, yeah. No. Uh, besides that, they just seem to just pull naming schemes out of their ass every few years, and I don't know why. Nobody does either. By the way, that I talk to, no one knows why. Nobody knows why upper management at AMD is allowing this to happen. I mean, it's so important that AMD's naming scheme for Zen One, Zen One through soon Zen Five, is probably following the same structure. You know what you're buying every year. Yeah, like, and I'm actually uh, I talked about it in AMD's Blueprint for Success video, but I actually may touch on this again and actually have some critiques for NVIDIA, um, as well, like in how they're doing some things. Not that that NVIDIA is really screwing this up. I think they are doing it pretty well, but I think both. I, I think just again talking about why, you know, trying to play mind tricks on people with how you name things really offers no benefits yeah and at least long term it's a short term it's a thing where you are doing something for a short-term game but long term you are lowering the potential of your brand yeah i I really don't understand the thought process behind calling this the 7800 xt it it, it, i believe they think xt had to be in the name and they hadn't launched a 7800 yet so they thought they had to do this but even then it's like 
I don't know how long ago, like, think about it. I mean, there's no reason you couldn't have just called it the 7700 XT and left room for a 7800 XT sometime later, or indeed called the 7900 Golden Rabbit Edition, the 7800 Golden Rabbit Edition. Whatever. Yeah, because to some extent, I know most people are saying that they should have gone with like 7800, but to an extent, I think that if they would have gone with like 7700 XT, they, people would have complained about it being 20 more dollars than the 6700 XT. But I don't know, if you just read people's thoughts on this online, the discussion has is completely surrounding the fact that you shouldn't buy it because it's not stronger than the 6800 XT. It's slightly stronger, but <laughs> it's more or less the same level of performance as a 6800 XT. Yeah. And if they would have just called it a 70, I mean, a 6800 or 6750 or 6700 XT perform, 7700 uh, successor, XT. or if they would have called it the successor to one of those, yeah. uh, I, that entire discussion would have been gone and people would have been like, well, it's not a huge generational uplift, but it's still an uplift when they're just completely ignoring the fact that it's $150 lower MSRP than the thing it claims to be the successor to anyways. Yeah. And you know, it's clear they kind of wanted to charge $500 for the 6700 XT, but they decided to do this weird trick where it's $20 cheaper than the 3070, <laughs> which is just yeah. so weird. Um, but and so it's like, well, it, there's a long term gain to this as well. Like a 7700 XT that costs $500 flat and gets good reviews makes people go. If, if I'm arguing in the boardroom here now, people are happy with a $500 X 700 XT. We've stuck out. This as the price we charge for our mid range products. But instead, now everyone's going to continue to expect, like, let's say RDNA 4 overperforms expectations and the top card despite being a monolithic die you know it's on four nanometer maybe it's 300 millimeter squared or something hey this thing manages to be almost a 4090 if they call it the 8700 xt now and then they try to charge 600 dollars like hey a 4090 that costs 600 bucks that sounds good to me but if now they have to call it the 8800 or 8900, I don't know. Because if they call it the 8700 XT, they'll be like, well, the last one was 450. It's so weird. Yeah. Yeah. If the, if the 8800 XT or whatever that card is, it now beats, yeah, like you said, beats a four, or like beats the 7900 XTX and they try to charge $600 for it or something, even though that's, apparently a good generational per performance uplift a better than average generational performance uplift if we're just looking x800 xt versus x800 xt now people are just going to talk about the pricing because they've screwed the branding for their product line now because now the na the names don't really mean anything and it's just well this is what we're trying to tell you is the low of of high end that's all x800 means at that point even though this is a pretty firmly mid-range card <laughs> oh yeah it right. is and i say it is the 7800 xt that should be called the 7800 or 67 or 7700 xt it's mid-range it is this is a mid-range you say upper mid-range sure but it is mid-range and and you know also now like now this means that i again i'm regurgitating a little bit for my last video but it's like they successfully for multiple generations in a row 5700 XT 
beat the 2070. In fact, some mm-hmm. people compared it to the 2070 Super or 2080. And then the 6700 XT competed with the 3070. Now it's the same as a 4070. The, the 7700 XT isn't. So it's like people got so used to the 9 being compared to NVIDIA's 9, 8, 8, 7, 7. And that's important because that means that people go, oh, well, if I get you know this thing from AMD, this is one of the best cards on the market. Now they're like, well, sometimes it is. But sometimes the 900 XT is actually weaker than a 4080. I don't know. I don't know <clears> what to expect. So I guess I'll have to check benchmarks. Or I can just buy NVIDIA because they're the standard. And that's why AMD's consistent naming is even more important for them. It's really strange from AMD coming uh, coming from a company that I I, I do think it's fair to, in a sane world, it would be fair to not call them the budget brand anymore. Obviously, they're still not to the same level of performance that NVIDIA is consistently. But from a company that's trying to get out from under being the reputation of, uh, of being the budget brand, Framing your 800 series card as a, I mean, your X800 as a competitor to their 60 Ti is really weird. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, absolutely. You're, you're no making sense. yourself, what a good point. You are making yourself a budget brand again. And they had to switch naming schemes after the uh, 300 series because during the 200 and 300 series, everything was R9. R9-290X, and then the R9-290, then the R9-280X, 280, 285, R9-27. Like, it it, it got absurd, and especially in the 300 series, like, half, more than half of the stack was R9. Like, and eventually, you had R9s being compared to, like, NVIDIA's, like, yeah, like, the 950, I think, was comparable to one of their, like, it almost comparable to one of the... It got to the point where it's like, well, R9 means nothing. Now everyone thinks all of our high-end cards are as weak as NVIDIA's mid-range. And yeah. they're doing it again. They have a good naming scheme that makes sense. And then someone in marketing at AMD, I wonder if they've been there for 10 years, I don't know what's <laughs> going on, goes, well, if we just name it this, we can do a mind trick and they'll buy it. And it's like, maybe some will, but long-term, you're just ruining the reputation Again, they're going to see it as a budget brand again. Yeah, I, I don't know. They're they're consistently, and it's not just this. It's just there, there seems to consistently always be in a lot of markets a a creep of uh, uh, of trying to make things look like what they aren't. Like in a lot of colleges, there's grade inflation and, and graphics mm. cards with AMD. I guess there's branding deflation where. AMD is trying to sell their cards as something they're not because they think if they tell you you have a high end card you'll be a you'll be a happy boy if you know that you're you have a high end part and that is a, a weird thing that you see. Well, Nvidia tries to pull it too, but they're the default and they have the performance crown, so they they can kind of get away with it in a way AMD can't, and AMD needs to realize that. In, Nvidia does it. Intel does it with the, or has done it with the i9 branding. I would argue in the past they threw away where, way too much. But before um, Alder Lake came out, there was a period where it's like, well, i9 means it, this CPU is worth getting, and pretty much everything else below it is a waste. Maybe the, there's a decent i7, but um, y- you can't do that because you just destroy your brand over time and. Now they need to step away from their branding and come up with a new thing, probably. Hopefully mm-hmm. not, but 
And I think they have put themselves in a weird place with calling this the 7800 XT. Where now people are going to complain about what the X800 XT is next generation, no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> e- e- if it's a great generational yes, uplift. They've laid such a, a, such a trap for themselves because now they're going to be like, the 800 XT before was $500. Now you're charging $600 for a 700 XT or 800 XT. They can't win next gen. Yeah, it, because either it's another one of these and now they've cemented themselves as the budget brand again, or they try to push price the price of the 800 XT next generation back to 600 or 650 or something. And with a decent generational uplift and everybody's going to be mad that they're charging more for the 800 XT again, which that's why I feel like you, you need to decide what segment each of these things in the market is going to be in you. I think there's some wiggle room by depending on the tier by for like $20 to like $50 depending on the tier. But I don't think it should vary that much more than that. Like Mm -hmm. the 900 XT I think is, supposed to be a 900 to $1,000 card now. And if next gen, they try to pull something by calling it uh, the 900 XT $700. And it's not actually any better than the 7,900 XT people will be mad about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they then need then to figure to that keep out. Pushing down their segments lower and lower. Ever get exhausted looking for a safe way to pay reasonable pricing for Microsoft software amongst tons of questionable listings on eBay and shady websites. Well, now you don't have to do this any longer, not if you go to cdkeyoffer.com. This piece of content is brought to you by cdkeyoffer.com and their back-to-school sale. Whether it's Microsoft operating systems, Office products, or even many of the latest AAA games, cdkeyoffer.com provides PC gamers with a product that I honestly think this community does need in a world where far too many of our components that make up our PCs are getting more expensive every year The last thing we need is monopolistically priced software to remain on that list of stupid stuff we pay too much for. And you know, the Moore's Law's Dead team has been working with CDKeyOffer.com for many years for a reason. They've been good to me. They've been good to Dan. They've been good to family members that use their website when they build a PC. And they've been good to the Moore's Law is Dead community as well. So whether you're looking for Steam, EA, Uplay, or PlayStation keys, or of course Microsoft products, Support Moore's Law is Dead by using the code BROKENSILICON for 25% off all Microsoft products or DieShrink for 3% off everything else. Support us at cdkeyoffer.com today. QH Freddy writes him, Do you think the naming of the 7700 XT to 7900 XT is a holdover set in stone for some bad reason from when AMD expected RDNA 3 to be more performant than it ended up being? Yeah, I think that's a part of it. I think yeah, there's something sense. going on here where AMD, and, and again, I don't want to regurgitate all of this, but it is shocking, like whether it's people in AMD's uh, APU uh, division, whether I'm talking to people at laptop OEMs that got presentations from people at AMD about Phoenix and about Navi 33 uh, products, or another example is just, people talking about the top chips, it all basically consistently was 20% weaker than they expected. And they still haven't launched that top chip that can go up to 192 megabytes of cash, which again, not recapping all of that. We've beaten this horse <laughs> to death. There's an Angstronomics article, several videos out of me. It's all out there. But, you know, I, I think, again, 
the overall each segment's 20% weaker than they expected and they didn't lop, launch the actual top 450 watt chip that they had waiting and but they still probably had those names sitting around where they mm-hmm. wanted Navi 32 to be the 7800 XT but then they probably were like well should we adjust everything down and then Nvidia goes it's the 4082 gigabyte and AMD's like now let's play 7D chess with our naming because Nvidia's going to when they didn't stop for a second and think is Nvidia making a fucking mistake and yeah. we just shouldn't do everything nvidia does and then nvidia realized it on launch the 4080 amd kept their stupid naming yeah because i mean i guess if it was a holdover for better performance if i think it's mostly if, them trying to play mind tricks to be clear but i think well, there, there is probably something to them having some of these names lying around from when they thought the cards would perform better than they did and yeah 20 percent better not twice as good as this anyone who said it was going to be four times stronger is absurd because if the 7800 XT was more of a 4070 Ti competitor than a 4070 competitor in performance, eh, then I can see why it would be called the 7800 XT. I don't think that would have been that absurd. Or just a hair below the 4080. Well, not a hair yeah. below the 4080, but like in between them or something. Yeah, that, then it would have been fair to call it a 7800 XT, and they probably could have charged 650 for that again or something. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I mean... They had what? The, how how many months did they have to change the name? <laughs> I, I guess it could be a holdover, but they did have like a year to change the name at that point. Yeah, I think it's mostly the 3D chess thing. Or 60 or 70. How many Ds make you guys happy? Because no one seems to realize 3D chess was the original phrase because chess is played in a two-dimensional way. But anyways, uh, QH Freddy writes in and he asks, why do you think AMD didn't pull the Navi 32 NDA forward? to coincide with Starfield launch, or at least allow reviewers to include Navi 32 cards in their Starfield benchmark videos. I don't know. Seems like a giant freaking mistake to me. I mean, I, I it's mind-blowing to me that AMD actually had something, apparently, in their NDAs that said, even though Starfield is playable and will therefore be benchmarked before our launch, a launch that will include the game with our cards and our cards overperform in them, we won't let you include the 7800 XT and Starfield benchmarks. In fact, imagine what that could have done for sales because some of these cards, like what, the 7900 XT is about a 4080 mm-hmm. in Starfield? Yeah, the 7800 XT may have beat the 4070 Ti or been at least close and they could have just included that before launch and everyone goes, oh my God, it's so good. And then I, I don't know what AMD marketing does. They need yeah, to be sacked. Uh, or Radeon I, marketing does. No, nah, there's nothing really for me to add. It made no sense. Like this is probably the best performing, uh, I mean, the best performing game for AMD on the market right now. And it's also the biggest maybe second biggest game of the year to come out. Like I, I, I don't get it, <laughs> but uh, uh, such is Radeon marketing. And think of this too. It wouldn't be like the NVIDIA thing where they tried to like bribe reviewers. Some, and some of them took the money clearly uh, to do 40, 60 reviews before everybody else. If they only said good things, uh, this would have been a thing where it's like, cause I'm sure like hardware and box said, they asked them, can we please include this? That'd be interesting. And they said no. And AMD could have gone, oh, yeah, I guess we wrote this NDA without thinking about the early release options. Um, Sure, included in it. And this isn't us trying to make ourselves look good. They asked us to, and here it is. It's only one game. Anyone can do it if they have the game early. This isn't us telling you you can only say good things. We're not, you were just, don't talk about the card yet. Just 
showed in the average, like that would have not come off as crummy or as bribery either. And this was, this was, uh, this was only a marketing win. The, the, (laughs) the fact that these cards came out so close to the launch of an AMD titled game, which is a massive game. And they did basically nothing with it is just impressive. Impressive and <laughs> it is impressive. Yes. Dead Eyes One One Seven writes in and says, "Hi guys, I've often heard from this channel that pre and post launch uh, about RDNA three being better at ray tracing than RDNA two. The impression I've always got, at least from my perspective, was to expect less of a hit for turning on ray tracing features relative to RDNA two. But with seventy eight hundred XT reviews, it seems pretty similar in both. My expectation is based on my understanding of your leagues would be that if these cards are generally matched and raster, we should see a larger lead with RT active. Was I interpreting this incorrectly? Am I misremembering something you said? Or are there other problems going on with this card that's making this discrepancy happen with the 7800 XT? Uh, so before we started recording, I checked the hardware unbox review, and the 7800 XT does beat the 6800 XT with ray tracing on by more than a dozen raster, but it's like single digit differences. Mm -hmm. So it is better at ray tracing if you turn it on on average, but there's no way around it. Uh, AMD's performance with RDNA 3 has fallen short of, uh, if not their ultimate minimum goals, what they thought they would achieve. And I've said over and over that the thing that probably disappoints me the most is the ray tracing. Like RDNA 3's ray tracing increase always seems far below what i expected like that's the one where yeah. i'm like wow even and and i mean not even just below like leaks i mean based on their presentations at the reveal where they're like we did all these things to improve ray tracing performance it seems maybe five to ten percent of a difference relative to for in like ray tracing over raster it's just it, it's i don't know it's disappointing the only other thing i could point out though is that ray tracing is can be bandwidth cache and definitely uh it can be bandwidth and cache sensitive and the way amd does ray tracing cores is it's per compute unit so i mean 60 versus 72 compute units this is not a perfect example although i will be honest i looked around at some other things and the ray tracing uplift for rdna3 generally is pretty damn low relative to what we should have expected even if even if i say this is 60 versus 72 cu there's it still seems like it is uh and i I am but cash and cu is important and this has a lot less than the 6800 xt yeah i mean ray tracing is disappointing i i don't remember do you remember the number they said at the rdna3 reveal and they say like 60 percent better per cu or something like that Oh, I don't remember. I thought I, I for some reason my brain's like forty percent, but I don't really remember. It was okay. it was not a few percent. So. If it, uh, <laughs> so, if it was forty percent, with sixty CUs versus seventy two CUs, the seventy eight hundred XT, given that metric, still should outperform it by like fifty twenty percent in fifteen, not fifty fifteen twenty percent in uh for ray tracing. I feel, and if it's not hitting that, then yeah, it's. Uh, dis- obviously below what they said which was already when I saw that I-, I was a little bit nervous about what that would look like but eh, now AMD has two generations of catching up to do when it comes to ray tracing versus one for the next generation to come out and I don't know I hope they do it but yeah I mean the only other thing I can say is unless I misremember there are tech demos where RDNA 3 per CU does beat RDNA 2 by double digits, sometimes 20, 30, 40%. But 
But I believe those are oftentimes examples where it's ray tracing performances crushed even harder by NVIDIA anyways. And so it's one of those things where like RDNA 2 was designed to allow you to turn on ray tracing and also like not take that much of a hit if it's light levels of ray tracing. And that is worked out. I mean, you look at Spider-Man and some other titles like Resident Evil Village and this ray tracing performance is pretty great if it's just some reflections and shadow stuff. Uh, but the second you crank it up like crazy, like in cyberpunk ruin AMD performance mode, like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. RDNA three is kind of just gen two of min maxing ray tracing and raster performance per millimeter squared or yeah. squared millimeter. Um, you know, because that's still clearly their goal is minimizing die size while supporting as much ray tracing as possible. And it's not a fundamental shift. RDNA 4 and 5 are supposed to do that, like as a one-two step to finally get there. Mm -hmm. But it's very clear RDNA 3 isn't even a half step to those, unfortunately. Like, we don't have much else to say. I will say this, though, too. There's been some pretty big ray tracing performance increases in RDNA 2 cards in drivers released after RDNA 3 came out, which is weird. Hmm. Or actually, and I believe right before as well. So I don't know what that's about. Um, if some of that was like, oh, and this is before we update RDNA 2 with things we learned. I, I almost wonder if that's a component of it. Um, all right. Now let us move on to something that I thought deserved its own story with story number two. RX 7800 XT is the first big GPU seller of 2023. As warned by this channel that retailers were expecting this to happen weeks ago, Navi 32 is a sales success so far, and arguably the best GPU launch in 2023. The immediate sales were covered extensively in that 7800 XT sells out video, and right before recording, Dan, Tech Epiphany on Twitter shared that at least based on Mine Factory data, Navi 32 is selling incredibly well in parts of Europe. But also, I thought it would be good to follow up today with the following data points. Before we started recording, and I'll actually have a jar to put these on screen. I looked at several micro centers before we started. And when you look on screen and see this, remember, micro centers for most of these models had over 25 of them in stock, dozens in stock before they went on sale. And even when they said they were going on sale. And if you check, Minneapolis micro center, 7800 XT sold out. Chicago, Almost sold out. Brooklyn, almost sold out. Atlanta, almost sold out. And then if I check the 7700 XT, it seems like over half of the stock is gone already. And again, they show up to 25 plus on Micro Center. And all of these models that I remember checking showed 25 plus. Meaning if there's like 12 different models that show zero, they've sold at least hundreds of cards at each one of these locations for just this retailer in the US. And... So I just think this is worth pointing out because there's a lot of armchair criticism, you know, armchair experts saying, well, we need the numbers to come in. Guys, the numbers are there. Uh, <laughs> it went to the number one bestsellers on Amazon. You can't do that unless there's a lot of stock. We know that they've at least sold hundreds of these cards per micro center. And when I check overseas, because sometimes people complain about this, sold out in France, Amazon, uh, U- United Kingdom retailers, almost entirely sold out and the 7700 xt is getting close australia same story every country i checked before we started recording it was selling similar to the u.s with the exception of germany which is still selling well but not gangbusters like it is in again france australia united kingdom america canada is when i checked too but i didn't put on screen so 
I just yeah, want to say that because the dad is in. This is the best-selling card of the year so far, at least relatively speaking. They definitely had a lot of stock. There were hundreds of these cards in stock at dozens of micro centers. That's just one retailer in the U.S., and it's sold out almost everywhere. And so, yeah, I do check other countries, guys. I just tend to put the American stuff on screen. But this time I put it on screen for those people who complain. Yeah, it, it does look to me just like looking at the stores and the it looks like generally speaking in the larger in the larger markets so like the chicago's new york stuff like that there's still a few left in stock but in a lot of the smaller mi- markets that like micro center serves eh, yeah they seem to generally be sold out now well so. notice the quantity at like places like in brooklyn it's like it's like it's like four at this point too. yeah so and like it started with hundreds <laughs> yeah so clearly based on that metric they're selling well uh based on the that what is it that german store i, I that's not a surprise Mine the 70, factory.de yeah the 7800 xt is the best selling card this week which that's not really a surprise 7700 xt is up there too with it yeah th- given that that's the new card that's not a huge surprise but eh, it, it's all pointing to yeah these cards are selling well which uh you can read all of the negative opinions online that you want but at a certain point people that are commenting negative shit on every review of uh, <laughs> are just criminally online people that are mad at the market. So, <laughs> Right, and at the end of the day, here's what it comes down to. And I, I feel like we didn't intend to do this, but we ended up kind of dunking on AMD for 20 minutes a second ago. <laughs> uh, but we do you think the naming is stupid. I get what they're thinking. I do actually think I know why. They wanted the XT name there. They hadn't launched the 7800 yet. They, they have their reasons for naming these things the way they did. I still think it's a long-term mistake for reasons that went way into detail in a recent video. And we also think they should be priced farther apart. I see no reason why they couldn't have done $509 and $439 or something. Like, just add that extra $20 buffer. Why wouldn't, Why they'll still buy it? Why, why not? You know? Mm. But, you know, <clears throat> once you move past that, these cards are the best mid-range cards launched this generation, and they are selling very well for a reason. And if you complain about these prices, just remember... Not only where we were two years ago, where in 2021, we were talking about these things selling for $1,000 each, Just please don't forget that. But also, even if you pretended the MSRPs were real, the old $500 card was 30% weaker than this one, had half the RAM. That is why this is a standard, and this comes with a AAA game. So that's why it's selling well, because in a few years, we've gone from a you know, eight gigabyte card that's around 2080 Ti performance to a card that's just below the 3080 with 16 gigabytes for the same price. That is a standard mm-hmm. generational uplift in price performance. I'm sorry, the name's stupid. It's really a 6700 XT successor or, you know, 6800 successor, but this is a massive increase in price performance and capabilities over what you could buy a while ago. And again, don't forget the 3070 looked good temporarily because they skimped on VRAM. Yeah. Should have been a 16 gigabyte card. Yeah. At the end of the day, the 7800 XT is probably the card you should be trying to get it. Like, even if you're building a system with a 6700 XT in it, I think if you can push it and push your budget a little bit, or maybe make sure your components all make sense, Try to go hmm. for a 7800 XT as opposed to getting a 6700 XT, even though eh, that, that is the best price performance card on the market right now. So 
it's not like that's a bad card to get. <laughs> but uh, and I think the seventy seven hundred XT closely follows. It's just stupidly priced against the seventy eight hundred XT, and I think over the months the price for the seventy seven hundred XT will probably come to reflect that, and hopefully it'll drop to like four hundred twenty dollars or four hundred dollars, where it will actually be worth getting. Where it'll be an absurdly better choice over the 4060 Ti. Yes. Um, QH Freddy writes in, is the recession over? Are the chips the hot thing again? Um, You know, I, I think um, what we're... Well, you answer, Dan. What do you think? I, I, I'm always, I'm never sure if the perpetual are we in a recession is over. Um, I don't know. These are selling well, and... Well, these are mid-range cards. They're more expensive than mid-range cards used to be. So clearly there was some pent-up demand to get for something at this price for people to get. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I think there was for obvious reasons. People want the new generation. They want to know that the new software features coming out over the next few years will be usable by them, that they're getting the most efficient product they can at that price point. And anyone who had a 3090 or even 6800 XT or 6900 XT, these 7900 XT through 4090, besides the 4080, which is terrible, uh, pretty big pricing and perfor- to performance uplift over last gen, where, yeah, I mean, same price uh, a few years later, the 7900 XTX is now, what, 30 to, well, I mean, it depends how you look at it, compared to the 6900 XT, it's like 50% better, same price. So, or more, because those are selling for almost two grand at some point. So, yeah, I mean, that's a bonus. And the 4090 raises the price by a hundred bucks. Well, basically, by almost doubling performance over the 3090, I mean, that's that. And again, there's people who've written in and got mad at me like it's not double the 3090 Ti. Guys, I keep saying 3090, okay? Not 3090 Ti. So, calm down. The 4090 is, especially if you turn up ray tracing, double the 3090 easily, actually. But, anyways, I digress. You know, and then, uh, you know, I think those people are pretty happy. And in the low end, you have, I looked at the 6,710 gigabytes in stock again in some places for like 250. Oh, that's good. What a deal on the low end. I love that card for under 300. But in the mid range, I agree. There's probably a lot of people, a lot of people that got the 3070, by the way, and want more RAM who are like, can something please, please come out for under 500? That is a standard uplift with more RAM. And here we are. Yeah. I, I, I mean, the the markets at least in as far as pricing goes is at least in a good place and i i think the fact that these are selling out everywhere says they're in a place where if barring these cynical people that are just perpetually mad uh people want to go out and buy things again so but it has to just be yeah fairly priced and i think this is good you know if you, you look on eBay, these aren't being scalped. Yes, there's like one guy trying to. I'm aware. There always will be. But you got to understand, like, this is actually very good news. The card that doubled RAM and increased performance by like 30% over the last $500 standard, the 3070, that one is the one selling well. That's a good thing that's selling well. Because if it didn't, I mean, if you're AMD, you're going to just go, yeah, no more well-priced cards. We're just going to copy NVIDIA. Them being rewarded when they released a decent card means they're probably looking at their RDNA 4 strategy even harder now and going, people will buy it. We just got to be that, 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 the right amount, and they will. And we've, I do think this AMD's always either sold their card for charity prices in the past or they've sold them for 
again, $20 less than NVIDIA, and that's just weird. Um, and, but again, at the same time, it's not just selling well. Scalpers are also not making a bunch of money. So this is, pro- this is pretty much the exact thing you want to happen. A healthy market where the better product is rewarded, but also scalpers aren't making a field day. Why are you making a weird grin? What's going on? What, what, what do you think about the guy, though, Tom, that's trying to sell one of the uh, 7800 XT for $920 on eBay? <laughs> on eBay the right one now. question I have is, is someone in the U.S. or is he trying to sell it to Europe? Or But Europe, the prices aren't that much... I'm not sure. It doesn't look like it's going to sell for that price. I am the second person to have clicked on this in 24 hours. Yeah, <laughs> so, so screw you, guy. <laughs> well, and let's be very clear about this, too. I, this kind of gets me to something else. I think a lot of people are going, well, so now you know it's going to happen. These are all going to shoot way above MSRP. No, they're not. There's used 6800 XTs for 450 or less on eBay, sometimes 400 these will not be easily going way above MSRP because people just buy 6800 XT. Yeah. I use 3080, something else. There, there's two, there are way too many products on the market that are relatively close to this level of price performance that it, there, there's no reason it would go out of demand would go out absurd unless people are doing that stupid thing where they, unless people just aren't evaluating the market aren't just buying 7800 xts because they're told that's the card they should buy which i think happens to some extent with nvidia cards because i but Mm -hmm. i I feel like that's less common with amd cards because like yeah you would see like 30 60 ti's selling for absurd prices in the past uh versus amd but i don't think that or even selling like above Nvidia, other Nvidia cards because people thought that's the card you should get. And it's like, yes. no, that's not yeah, happening. That's, right yeah, that's a good <laughs> way to put it too because that that was a thing. Like the thirty seventy was sold oh, one of the highest of MSRP selling cards, and the thirty eighty is simply because it got good reviews. Yeah, so um, I, that's not going to happen at least. <laughs> Technolads writes. He says, "Hello, Tom and Dan." In your latest 7800 XT video about how AMD needs to be 30% better overall than NVIDIA to have cards sell out. Okay, I'm glad you said sell out because I've been thinking about this more and more. I don't think AMD always needs to be 30% overall better for a card to be successful. It's just if you want a killer success, that's probably the magic number. But anyways, he continues. And they experienced this with the 7700 XT at 450, 7800 XT at 500, and first with the 7900 XT when that finally hit around 700 to 750. Yeah, it did. It sold out. Like that's when the 7900 XT sold out when it had a 30% advantage versus the surrounding cards. Do you think AMD will adjust other cards too? In other words, the 7600, which is selling reasonably well as far as we can tell, is only 10 to 20% cheaper than the 4060, but it is slower than it. Well, it's about the same performance. And it has the same amount of VRAM, so could we see that reduced down? Additionally, do you think they will learn from this 30% ratio that you've outlined and try to use it with RDNA 4? Hopefully. Uh, and which cards could AMD use this as the baseline considering that Lovelace will be nearly two years old at that point and Blackwell won't be out for nearly another year? Kind regards from Techno Lads. Um, well, I guess some thing I want to add here is I think like it's a roughly 30% rule and it's not really a rule, right? Just like Moore's yeah. law wasn't a law. It was an observation by someone. <laughs> um, I think it shifts a bit at the bottom and at the top. Like, at the very bottom, people are hyper-focused on price performance to the point that, like, I think you'd probably be 20% cheaper and that's good enough. And, you know, like I said, I think 30%, and again, just to make it clear for people who didn't watch that video, when I say roughly 30%, I mean, so maybe 
10% stronger, 10% cheaper. Like if Nvidia has a $500 card, you're 10% stronger than it, but then you charge 450, you can make up the other 10% if it has more RAM, right? That's mm-hmm. the sort of thing I'm talking about. And if you hit that around 30% overall ratio, then then you're going to sell well. But if you were 20% better, like if NVIDIA launches some 16 gigabyte product next year that's 500 bucks and AMD launches one for 450 that's 10% stronger, I still think that's going to sell well relatively, but I don't think you'll sell out mm-hmm. versus, I think there'll be some people who will go, eh, their performance is close and this is DLSS, so I'm going to pay the extra money, you know? I, I think that's worth pointing out. I think at the bottom, it becomes closer to like a 20% rule. And I think at the top of the market, it's probably 40%. Like I think AMD needs something 40% stronger than NVIDIA if it's the same performance and they're going to actually try to charge 1600 or something. Wouldn't you agree, Dan? If they yeah. want it to sell out. Yeah. And I mean, I guess at the bottom of the market versus the top of the market, that kind of makes more sense because... Uh, the the features that AMD, I mean, NVIDIA has over AMD right now, they get better as you go up in price performance, which is, I mean, up in uh, performance, which is kind of ironic because uh, you a lot of the features that NVIDIA is touting as being so great, I, I think you would see a lot more benefit if they worked well at the bottom of their stack, but whatever. <laughs> NVIDIA's <laughs> human centipede of upselling you to the 4090. Yeah, but... I mean, it, it makes sense. Like DLSS is and ray tracing and all of that are better features on a 4090 than they are on a 4060, relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. So the the fact that the 4090 needs to or, or AMD would need to have a even stronger competitor to the 4090 for it to sell out versus like I mean versus sell out versus the 4090 when compared the AMD at like the 7600 and 4060 tier kind of makes sense because i i do feel well, it's especially it's not just dlss it's the ray tracing advantage which probably matters more to enthusiasts yeah but it, because like once you're comparing the 4060 to the 7600 there's not really all that much of a difference when discussing those features nvidia has anyways mm-hmm. so i don't know maybe a slight value uh, uh maybe give slightly more value to the 4060 because it has dlss and uses a bit less energy Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I would. I mean, you know, especially because in DLSS works better at lower resolutions, which you'll be using with these cards because yeah. they have eight gigabytes. Getting out and enjoying the weather, or is it too hot to get outside? Well, either way, whether you're looking for an easy meal on the go or something quick and delicious while you're cooped up inside, Vite Ramen has you covered. This piece of content is brought to you by Vite Ramen. Vite Ramen is a healthy, tasty, and shelf-stable food crafted by an American startup that offers tons of options for eating healthy. Their classic packages make it easy to add protein and other ingredients of your choice, including new flavors like Radiant Crab Rieu. And also, their Ramen Go packages offer a healthy, microwavable option for those who truly only have a 15-minute lunch break away from home. Or they even have other healthy products like Nano Boost Powder that makes any food at least a little healthy click on the link in the description and use the offer code broken silicon to save 10 percent on a variety of products including special bundles for moore's law z fans raw nudes if you want to make up your own recipes and other food products powders cooking utensils and more they are a plucky small but rapidly growing company that has been good to moore's law is dead for years so you know supporting them helps support me and even just clicking on the link below makes a big difference for moore's law is dead 
But I really do like their products, and I recommend you try them as well. So check out Vite Ramen today. Really? Gonna keep the glasses on for more than a minute? Well, QH Freddy writes in, he says, at $500, do you think the 7800 XT can, as one reviewer, which was level one text, by the way, everybody, uh, friend of the show, be a 1060 replacement, or do you think the price point is just too high for it to sell like that? Well, you know, the 3070 sold incredibly well last gen, and I do think there's a point to realize here of like, the mid-range is $500 now. It's been $500 since Turing, and it is what it is. You know, like you would agree, Dan. Yeah. But, you know, if you adjust for inflation, what I would say the exact comparison would be is if there was something called an RX 490 12 gigabyte with Polaris for 380 or something. If you adjust for inflation, that becomes 500. Yeah, I, I'd say that's basically what the 7800 XT is. And unfortunately, there's no perfect analogy here to like the $300 1060. Uh, but yeah, it is pretty close to it, I think. The closer thing would have been if there was a four hundred dollar seventy seven hundred XT sixteen gigabyte, but there isn't. So yeah, because if we're talking about like the four five eighty four eighty five ninety that the like trio of cards, right? Yeah, so the five ninety Solange MSRP was two eighty. That I don't feel like in this market, even after inflation, that's quite comparable to five hundred. It's I could see the 7700 XT, if it drops in price significantly, becoming a card like that. Because we have to remember, $450 is just the launch price of the 7700 XT. Maybe there will be a huge demand for used 7700 XTs going into the future because it's a pretty decent 1080p slash 1440p card with enough RAM to run things in 1440p. Well, but I still think long term, if you want it like 8 gigabytes was on the 580 or even six gigabytes was back then you want 16 gigs now personally is what i would say so yeah probably i, I think it is and I, I you know if you want starfield this comes with the premium edition that kind of knocks off 100 bucks right there and it, you already get to the inflation difference anyway so i i think so mm-hmm. I, I think this is pretty much as close as you're gonna get you have a card that has more than enough ram more than enough performance for 1440p back then it was more than enough performance for 1080p and it can certainly do 4k fine you know just like that could back then too or that could do 1440p fine back then so i think this is kind of close but there's no real perfect analogy and i just would hope that rdna 4 gets us there you know yeah we'll just have to see yeah i i mean i think it's becoming like if we want to call the like 6700 xt slash like 6700 the kind of successors to that then this is kind of a successor to that. So like a couple of years from now, I would guess these are probably going to sell for like three thirty to $350. And that might be what people see as the not budget option, but like this you're buying in the lowest level of buying into good performance. Well, and let me point this out too. Before the RX 480 launch, there were R9 290s selling for like 250 mm-hmm. So... You could argue that level of performance was obtainable before that. And if you adjust for inflation, a 6700 XT at $300 now is kind of better. So, (laughs) like, a new card, the right price on launch day, perfect analogy isn't going to happen. But I've long, I've said for about a year now, right? Like, 
a $300 or less 6,710 gigabyte. There's your 480. Like, I mean, what, there you mm-hmm. go. You know, uh, it's actually adjusted for inflation, probably cheaper than that was, but it has a little less RAM than you'd want. There's never going to be a perfect analogy. I think the new 1060 replacement is just RDNA two cards on discount, frankly. I mean, yeah. plus these because they're priced in line with them. Um, and Batty Cakes writes in and says, how much of a selling point is FSR and DLSS on the high end, really? Right now, my 7900 XTX absolutely demolishes all games I throw at it with no need to turn on upscaling. The only time I feel like it's actually going to be a benefit is a couple years down the line when the car is no longer no longer the absolute highest any dev can target. But at the time, are the new versions that people are targeting even going to be supported on that hardware? Yes. Imagine if you had a card that was top of the line four years ago that only supported DLSS 1. That feature would be absolutely worthless nowadays. Oh, so you're saying is there going to be... Well, yeah, but these cards also support DLSS 2 and FSR goes all the way back to, like, Fermi support. So, <laughs> I mean, no, no, I mean, no, I... So anyways, I, I would reject the premise that these things won't be used anymore. I think they will. Uh, and at the end of the day, if they're not, it's because there's a new upscaling tech that will also be used on the 7900 XT. So let's just talk about, you know, the question then, is DLSS and FSR really a selling point at the high end? Yeah, I, I mean, I think so, because it uh, in a lot of games, especially with DLSS, is above native quality. Yeah, Not all I, of them, but some of them. So that's definitely a selling point. And remember, you can turn on, what is it, DLAA? It's DLSS like anti-aliasing. So yeah. it applies that algorithm at a higher resolution and scales it down. So that's also a, a thing you can use for a higher image quality if that's all you want to do. So then, yeah. That's a thing. And AMD has that with FSR. It's absolutely a selling point. It's absolutely important that it is, you know. It, yeah, and in certain games like uh, <laughs> in certain games like uh, Starfield, I mean, I, I don't know. That's <laughs> certainly pushing a lot of cards to their limit right now. Although we can argue over that if that's bad optimization or what. But, <laughs> but still, it's Eh, I, I mean, I if I get Starfield, I would probably turn on FSR because the 7900 XTX only gets 65 frames per second, according to tech pow- I mean, according to TechSpot, at least. Or slash um, hardware boxed. All right, I'm going to read two questions here and throw them at you. Um, QH Freddy writes in and says, Do you think enough people cared about VRAM when the 3070 and 6700 XT launched for the 12GB and the latter to be a relevant sell- selling point? How much would you evaluate the 8 versus 12 gigabyte battle in the upper mid-range to have evolved between then and now? Would you say that people are substantially more fed up with 8 gigabyte cards? What's so the last question? Yes. And then Karen Osugata says, after all the discussion about VRAM usage in the latest games earlier this year, I can't help but feel disappointed in how little attention VRAM has gotten in GPU reviews since then. All things stand. As things stand, I expect history to repeat itself in a few years as VRAM usage continues to increase. So what should we do? Maybe we should all ask GPU reviewers for more discussions on VRAM in the reviews and recommendations. Yeah, it is interesting. Like, these discussions about VRAM and, you know, I think it's like a rounding up from like 24% to 30% for my roughly 30% rule I proposed in a recent video. But I think there's also something to be said that when you have the 8 gigabytes above 300 bucks, it's just not enough. So, like, it's a nice thing to have for the future, but once you're above $300, for me, it's not a goal, it's a constraint. Like, no 8-gigabyte card will be bought by me above $300, ever. To to be fair, I I do think the discussions earlier this year, even if they're not carrying... 
uh, although I do to a point, it's like, I don't know how much you can just keep hammering home the same point because we did it like three podcasts in a row with several different devs. Starfield seems to have like the new big game that came out seems to have some performance issues according to people, but it's not because it's using too much, a ton of Ram or something. It's just like, yeah, this CPUs and GPUs is really hard. Yeah. This just gets 60 frames per second at 4k. Sorry. (laughs) Um, but, uh, I, I, I just don't know what else there is to say because I, I feel, feel like the discussion's already been had. I think most people paying attention to the market understand that 8 gigabytes is probably going to be an issue if you want to play above 1080p relatively soon. And it's already been an issue in a couple of newer releases. And I think there has been a positive effect. I think the 6700 XT has become the default, like, the default card for a lot of people because it has more than eight gigs of ram and it's gets pretty good performance and is a good price like i i feel like the 6700 xt became super popular as a uh, older card to buy because of those things that happened early this year and i think like two years ago uh, or three years ago when we were to- yeah talking about uh this had the same discussion with like the 3070 versus the 6700 xt or like the 3060 versus the 3060 Ti, uh, some people acted like you're a conspiracy theorist if you suggested that a card would ever use more than 8 gigabytes of RAM. And oh, I yeah. think a lot of them parroted this ridiculous advice given by a couple channels that it was allocation. Yeah, and Not I, exactly allocation, is it, people? I think it's less common now. Online, you'll still pe- see people say like, games are fine using eight gigs of ram that's like oh new games obviously have some of them obviously have issues what do you think that's going to look like going into the future but yeah i mean i think the discussion has shifted a lot i think the people that were paying attention to ram utilization knew that like the 3070 maybe even the 3080 are going to have issues eventually with the amount of ram they have uh so yeah i I think everybody that's not trying to save go ultra budget is trying to get more than eight gigabytes of ram at this point like that's why you see cards like the 4060 ti 16 gigabyte Mm -hmm. well and that's why you see cards like the 7800 xt sell very well i think there's a lot of people that see that in ultra even in 1440p the 4070 is already at its limits in some games and there'll be people who write in and go no it runs it fine i know but it's at its limit and like even if you look at starfield they're like Oh, even the 4090 isn't using more than eight gigabytes of RAM in this game. Right. But so like, that's still like at the limit. And this is the game you're pointing to like this game, a game that probably had an extra long dev cycle. And is it known for having the best textures? Even this game is like always using between five and eight gigabytes of VRAM. That's that it's not like it's using three. <laughs> it's yeah, still I, kind of at the limit of eight gigabytes. So what do you think is going to happen when like, the one game you can even point to where it's okay on eight gigabyte cards isn't exactly leaving a lot of room on the table. It doesn't look good. Yeah, I, I mean, if I were getting a, a new card now, I I would only consider an eight gigabyte card for below three hundred dollars. And if I was only ever going to play in ten eighty p, if I'm paying more than three hundred bucks, I want at least twelve gigabytes of RAM, ideally sixteen. But to do that, you have to. Oh no, there's cards at that at that price point or or around like four hundred dollars with sixteen gigs of RAM now. 
But yeah, like if I'm spending more than three hundred dollars, I want sixteen hundred. If you're compromise, I want sixteen gigs. If you're compromising to get like a really good price, uh, I I would still want at least twelve gigs for fourteen forty p plus going into the future. Well, and I just wish there was more consistency in this debate, um, or or at least in the recommendations given is what I mean to say, because you'll see people go. Well, you can't charge more than $300 for an 8-gigabyte card and then go, but it's fine, the $600 card is 12 Why? Why is that okay? The same issues are going to happen in this card in 4K in a year as to this card in 1440p now. The same issues. The 3080 is fucked for 4K. You're fucked. You, you yeah. bought a card that's fucked. Like, and it always will be. It's only going to get worse. The recommendation for a $700 card that had 10 gigabytes in 2020 was just as dumb as an 8 gigabyte card for 500. Just as dumb. That card is like almost 50% stronger and it has only two more gigs. Same issue. Yeah, and like I would go this far, like the 7700 XT with 12 gigabytes of RAM, even with its relatively good price performance, if you ignore the 7800 XT, any more than $450, that thing is a no-go because it has 12, 12 gigabytes, and I, I wouldn't want to spend much more than that on a 12-gigabyte card. And eh, that's part of why I think you would want to wait for it to drop in price a little bit. <laughs> exactly, because I think 12 gigs will be enough for 1440p medium and high for a long time, certainly enough for 1080p for a very long time. But that's not going to be a 4K card in a year, and it's that's that. That's okay, though. You should not be getting that for 4K. Get the 7800 XT or higher. Or if you want budget 4K 60, that is where I go, yeah, get the 6800. Yeah, and I think something like the 7700 XT might become like a killer card uh, a couple years from now for like 1080p even. Or that's what a, a lot of people will recommend it for is like, oh, you're doing high refresh rate 1080p, get a 7700 XT. I'll be able to do a little bit of 1440p, but. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, all right, let me move on then now to finally a new set of discussion points. But, you know, <laughs> I guess we had just that much to say about Navi 32 products. Um, to story number three, NVIDIA is apparently skipping on their drivers for gamers. So this one will be quick, but I did think it was worth bringing up again as its own story for the news cycle this week. NVIDIA seems to be reducing proportional funding to the gaming software team a lot relative to the, to the AI team as first leaked by this channel and the 7800 XT benchmark leak, um, which to, is no surprise that they would be putting more of their new funding into AI software into, instead of gaming. But Starfield seems to be a very notable casualty of this decision. Um, this was highlighted extensively again in that 7800 XT benchmark leak where before all the benchmarks were coming out, I was putting out a leak saying Starfield has issues with NVIDIA. And I have multiple people at NVIDIA telling me that it's because their game-ready drivers really aren't done. And now since the game has come out, multiple people have noticed this performance issues. These performance issues aren't consistent. It's not like, oh, NVIDIA always underperforms AMD in the same way. No, GPU utilization seems to be lower than it should be with a lot of NVIDIA cards. In certain settings that you can select in the graphics settings menu seem to have radically different performance hits than they should. <laughs> and you have people pointing out that the game-ready drivers didn't do anything. It didn't really help anything with performance, meaning it was game-ready and name only. So think about that. The game-ready drivers don't really do anything. The 
There's underutilization of the card reported in GPU-Z, and some specific graphics settings seem like they have zero optimizations put into it. Guys, this isn't nerfing. This is NVIDIA didn't finish the drivers for this game. I warned you it happened before it happened. So this would be quite a coincidence if I just guessed this was going to happen. <laughs> you know, and so I just think yeah. this is worth pointing out because it really should be food for thought for anyone thinking about NVIDIA and getting NVIDIA cards. Gaming development now in the software department at NVIDIA is now clearly not just second, it's like third fiddle to AI. And this really needs to be food for thought, especially for anyone who accuses AMD of being anti-gamer when NVIDIA can't even bother to finish their drivers for the biggest release of the frickin' year. Yeah, I mean, we'll see how... I, I would expect for a lot of cards there to be a big uplift in performance once actual game-ready drivers are out for Starfield. Because, like, if you read some stuff, or some of the stuff I've read online, people are like, yeah, it's basically... It's, <laughs> it's basically not... Seemingly not using my graphics card uh, in Starfield. So... Yeah, the... There have been uh, uh, some weird statements by, like, Todd Howard that I think are making the ER worse for Starfield than it has to be, but, eh. NVIDIA needs to get out game-ready drivers for this thing if, you know, they want to (laughs) be seen as a company that cares about gaming. Although, I'm sure they'll be given a mulligan for this one, at least. Oh, because that's what the tech press just does with good guy NVIDIA. Yeah, um, I don't know. It's uh, yeah, the the Todd was it the Todd Howard? Yeah, the, 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 the his statements are weird though, because um, it's like I, I don't doubt that there's a lot going on with Starfield. This is their most ambitious game yet, and I guess that's part of why the performance is lower. But at the same time, it's like everyone knows they're using an old engine. And the the, the main thing I would just say is, look, I'm not saying Bethesda Studios is the best at optimizing games. The number one thing that always surprises me is every time they release a game with Fallout 4 or anything is that it has performance issues. They always do. So I don't know why this is always a surprise. But at the same time, specifically, it seems like there is a weird driver unfinished issue with NVIDIA. Yeah. So um, NVIDIA CEO Jensen Wang writes, uh, and he added on to his name, AI King, writes, and it says, Tom... We never have and never will do anything that slanders, libels, or hurts performance on one of our competitors or potential competitors in the GPU market. If we say it's true, my AI confirmed it for me. It has to be true because NVIDIA said it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, you alluded to that. That's one of the weirdest things I've ever seen where it's like anything AMD says should be met with suspicion. Anything NVIDIA says, I guess, is just a fact. I, I don't. Yeah, it's confusing. I, I mean, I, I, I think I've said this before on the podcast. I think to an extent it's that when NVIDIA makes a BS claim, it's so ludicrous. People are like, well, that's not true. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> you pulled the fast crazy. one on, on us, NVIDIA. Good one there. Like, And then AMD is more in the realm of possibility, so people view it as more deceptive almost. That's my impression. Or it's just uh, the mindshare hasn't caught up with NVIDIA. I mean, hasn't caught up with uh, Radeon yet. So people are just still more naturally skeptical. It's probably well, a combo. Of well, I think two, people expect but. people love underdog stories, and they expect an underdog to be the good guy. They, and that becomes a double standard at a certain point, where they're like, "Well, because you're the underdog, you also have to be." You also saint. have to take the high road. 
every time, no matter yeah. what, no matter how many times someone else is trying to bribe reviewers or nerf your performance or not put FSR in games like Metro Exodus or Battlefield 2042 or dozens of or other games. Or if you have a decades-long history of buying companies to try to remove X. features or putting black boxes in games that nerf performance, that becomes what's expected. And then the second when article comes out that suggests that AMD might have done something that's I guess in the same ballpark now AMD is the devil. I don't know. Yeah. This story has evolved into such a weird thing that though where it somehow turned into AMD bought Starfield performance which isn't even the initial story. And I don't know what to make of it at this point. Nvidia didn't put out game ready drivers. I'm sorry and now you're mad at AMD for doing that. Yeah, well, I really don't know what to say. Continuing this discussion, QH Freddy writes in yet again and says, Does NVIDIA stipulate that devs implement DLSS 2 in their games to have a certain amount of optimization when they do so? How come modders have already released a DLSS mods for Starfield? Uh, well, yeah, NVIDIA wants DLSS to work perfectly when it's in a game. And we now have stuff from Tech Power Up and Hardware Unbox that shows, yeah, look, modders have, there's a DLSS mod out, and Hardware Unbox stated that frame generation is shit it, like it has so many issues in the modded version and tech power up also found multiple artifacts and bugs like especially at lower resolutions like uh red dots i think it said laser sites have massive issues and there's weird visual artifacts in different areas and crashing and, and i'm sorry qh freddy this backs up entirely what brian heemskirk i believe said who is a developer not some guy in the comments pretending to be one a real one and other people i've talked to who are developers that say you can flip the DLSS switches if you want to, but then you need multiple cycles of Q&A. Modders just add a DLSS to a game, and yeah, you can do a few bull shots and say this one area looks great, but now your laser sights don't work and frame generation <laughs> is broken and the game crashes. Like I, this proves everything I've been saying. I completely. It's just like the another week of vindication. Like yes, it's easy to add DLSS. But there are artifacts and bugs that can pop up when you add it that require a lot of effort. And a lot of developers decide, let's go with the one that works on everything. Do I think DLSS will be added eventually? I guess I'd be surprised if they don't, although Todd Howard's acting really weird. Um, but at the same time, I don't think it's just going to be added by flipping a switch. They're going to sit down and they're going to put a lot of effort into making sure it doesn't crash your game and break laser sights. Yeah, and, you know, modders are going to do what they do. And I, I'm not saying, like, it's bad that modders add a DLSS support to the game. It's fine. There, now it's a feature that can ha you can have if you really want to turn on DLSS. might not work well, but it's there, and that's what modders do, is they add in things that, eh, it hasn't been QA tested, so it might break the game if you try to do it. <laughs> Which, that that's just the nature of modding, so... Yeah, here it is. This is DLSS isn't a simply a switch. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if it ever comes out, because God knows if anything AMD announces ever actually comes out. But uh, <laughs> when supposedly fluid motion frames can just be added at a driver level to games, it'll be interesting to compare that in Starfield to the modded version, because we've yeah, seen the modded DLSS 3 looks like crap. And no one expects the in-driver version of uh, Fluid Frames from AMD to look as good, and AMD says it won't. But it'd be interesting if it looks better, because then that goes to show, well, I guess AMD takes forever to release things, but at least it proves they had to put effort into it, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
But uh, so I don't know. That'll be interesting to see. Um, Oliver one three five zero writes. He says, "Hi, Tom and Dan. Has Starfield laid bare a crucial shortcoming of the Zen architecture, the limitation of FCLK and Infinity fabric clock speeds? That was for dramatic effect that I put it that way. But can you infer why the game's performance on Ryzen does seem to be lower and nearly proportionally different to difference in Infinity fabric speeds to other CPU and RAM speeds? This could also be underdeveloped testing logic by reviewers. I hope Buildzoid does his usual memory breakdowns on this phenomenon. So yeah, I mean." AMD's CPUs don't perform remotely as well as in Intel's relative to how they usually do yeah, in this yeah. game. I don't know. Did you look into this question? Um, I tried to a little bit. It, it, it seems like, yeah, FCLK clock could be a limitation. It could be limiting frame rates uh, because you want that one-to-one-to-one ratio for everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, Starfield sounds like it's a game that's really hungry for bandwidth in any way possible. So increasing ram speeds uh system ram speed seems to help performance so if you can get it to 6000 uh hertz and you can get your fclk to what would that be 3000 or 3200 that that's ideal uh and if you can't it's probably going to perform worse and i i looked into it a little bit it seems complicated seems like if you adjust timings a little bit some people have said you get better performance out of ryzen on reddit although i can't corroborate that because i don't have the game so uh, it seems like more so than most games, system RAM is a big limiting factor for frame rates with uh, Starfield. Which, if I'm remembering correctly, that was also a thing with Bethesda older games, Bethesda love games in general. Bandwidth. Yeah. Yep. So, so if you can get your uh, RAM speeds higher, yeah, it's better for Starfield. And I think in general, Intel is better for higher RAM speeds. So, mm, it's just that's yeah. not as much of a factor in really any other game. Yeah, and um, you know, again, I think it's worth pointing out the Starfield is a game that they were probably working on for like eight years straight, and most Bethesda games and technology tend to be very big, very artisanally built. Like not like they did some random or um, they did some generated planets for this, so they did do that. But it's still like the missions and stuff. A lot of it is like hand put there. You know, every little, and that's why they use the creation engine still. It's because it's very easy to make things and place them around a map with, <laughs> and they tend to manually make tons of little missions all over the place in their games. And that's why they still use that engine. But that engine's old. And look, guys, every now and then you're going to see a game with a really old engine that likes Intel. Like, that's yeah. a thing you have to remember. And like, since certainly since the PS5 has been out, but even a little before that, like, devs started getting used to using zen and now they do and so games do a little bit here and there to get around those architectures and not run into performance pitfalls that they probably could have avoided guys it's a bethesda game what do you want me to say again it's like (laughs) on the one hand i i can i want to make sure there's not lying out there about what's really going on on the other hand there's always some performance issues with these games guys i mean there are yeah and it's hard to say exactly what it is right now. I'm sure people that are better at overclocking than me <laughs> will figure it out and put a YouTube video out about why Ryzen performs worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Now, let me then have us move on to story number four. Uh, real evidence emerges that TRX 50 is coming. All right, I'll be quick about this. ASRock has leaked proof of TRX-50 motherboard development, and additionally, the ECC has shown proof they are coming as well. But to be fair, 
I still have not been told anything different from what I've been saying forever. Zen 4th Red Ripper is supposed to come out very end of this year or early next year. But I have to admit that I didn't notice this pattern. This motherboard vendor update thing and the ECC. This same thing happened at the end of August before Zen 2 Thread Ripper <laughs> was announced in November. So I'm covering this because there has always been rumors and murmurs and whispers. And oh, someone said this about Zen 4 Thread Ripper for a year now. Like for a year, people have been talking like this about it. But I do have to say there's some parallels between now and Zen 2 Threadripper's release. So I think there is definitely a chance they launch this like end of November or December. There is. I think. I, I, I mean, and that's the, the relatively common cadence is these come out like what, a year after their uh, desktop counterparts come out, right? Well, it used to be closer to the same time. Yeah, AMD, the, a, but yeah they, actually, they, AMD used to be. Yeah, well, lately, you're lucky did. if they come out at all. Yeah, the, uh, Threadripper has clearly taken a backseat to Epic and Zen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or Ryzen. Or, no, Ryzen, yeah, not Zen. How dare you mix that up. But yeah, I mean, the only other thing I'd add on to this is I've seen people message us, you know, whether it's in the Moore's Laws at Discord or, uh, you know, in the comments, like, what will the performance be? The same as the 7950X, but more chorus, guys. And in some games, it'll perform even better because it has hundreds of megabytes of cache. That's all there is to say, though. It's just more Zen 4 cores. And it's not going to be cheap. All evidence is also something that I leaked a year ago. Seems to be TRX, uh, you know, workstation. It, it seems like these are like the five to $800 motherboards, not the three to $400 to $500 Threadripper of yore, you know, like Zen, Zen Plus. Like, this is more expensive than the Zen 2 Threadrippers. And I wouldn't look at this as like, oh, yay, here's this bargain core count monster for enthusiasts. This is another, like, workstation yeah. champion where the CPU is five grand or more. Yeah, I, I think they've delineated their lineups pretty well. Uh, I don't know why. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you should go getting the 96 core for, for gaming. Or the 16 core. That will come or, out or, on that for that matter. But. Or, or or for that matter, even probably for someone that does some work in some play. This is for people that really are making money from it. And they're willing to spend five grand or more on a desktop. Yeah. Um, all right. Let us now then pivot fairly quickly, it seems, from this story to story number five. Uh, Meteor Lake and full Raptor Lake refresh lineups allegedly leaked. Evidence has leaked from both Twitter leaker Yukions and more that the 14th gen will consist of the following. So for the Raptor Lake refresh products, as by the way, leaked by this channel months ago, there will be an i9-14900KS SKU that boosts to 6.2 gigahertz, and there will be three K-series SKUs with the i9-14900K non-S going to 6 gigahertz, 3KF, 7 non-K, and 4F no integrated graphics uh, units. Uh, there's not really much else to say about this uh, because I pretty much already leaked everything there is to know. But this directly confirms that the overall lineup is in the description if you want to see it. And it's pretty much what you'd think it would look like. Most of these products will be 3 to 13% stronger than 13th gen counterparts, except for, of course, the notable exception of that 20-core i7-14700K that, again, was exclusively leaked by Moore's Law is Dead, that will be getting 20 cores for more of like a 15 to 20% multi-threading performance increase over its last-gen counterpart. Then, again, unrelated in uh, or it being different articles and tweets, but still on the same note, Meteor Lake has had its lineup mostly leaked as well, with the Core, the core Ultra 9 185H 
which is the six big plus eight little cores hitting 5.1 gigahertz, a core ultra seven, one sixty-five that goes up to five gigahertz and then an ultra seven, one fifty-five that hits 4.8 gigahertz. And there's allegedly a slower ultra five model as well. Uh, the reason I made this a full story um, is that it really confirms things we've been talking about for a while. And I think it, you know, mm. I mean, this is the lineup. We now know what it is, but also I reach out to some Intel counterparts uh, or counterparts or contacts of mine. And well, they can't obvious, they didn't go through every single yeah. model name. <laughs> they look for it through and they're like, this seems to be the correct lineup. So I wanted to cover it today uh, to also just highlight that. Yeah. This seems to all be correct. This is the lineup guys. Yeah, I, and I don't know how much there's to add to that Raptor Lake. I mean, it's exactly what you would, I feel like you would expect out of an Intel desktop lineup. <laughs> uh, and the the Meteor Lake obviously is going to be a smaller lineup because there's not that much, there's not as many things that you can disable from Meteor Lake because it's the uh, smaller uh, launch. But I don't know, Meteor Lake looks like it will be really cool for a decent uh low power laptop uh lineup yeah the major question i then the only other thing i can think to bring up is like what do you think these things need to cost you know like i'm starting to pull up some amd counterparts right now because as far as we're saying i believe you know you can go back to that mind factory tech epiphany tweet like at least there in Germany, at least what I continue to hear from people at like micro centers and new eggs and whatever in the U S like AMD continues to outsell Intel and to do it yourself, uh, pretty handedly, uh, and OEM it's complicated, but because, you know, that's just all more about contracts and supply, but it does seem like depending on how they price this for the people who watch this, like they may have to be pretty dang aggressive to shift any mindshare to buying this because AMD is crushing them right now in sales. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. The fourteen nine hundred A probably needs to be like six hundred bucks or something. I, I I don't know how well that would do against the seventy nine fifty X though, or and seventy nine fifty. It comes with Starfield. Seventy nine fifty X comes with Starfield. Yeah, so That's something worth pointing out. I mean, if they went crazy and went for five hundred for the thir- uh, fourteen nine hundred K, that no would way. be a. I'm not saying that will happen. <laughs> I think that would be a big splash, but I I think that will end up being six hundred to six fifty at launch. Right, and and they've been raising prices behind the scenes here and there, too. Intel has been, even on last-gen stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to say it. I don't think there's, like, any way. And I know they might say tray price is 590 but, like, actual MSRP, it's probably going to be at least 600 maybe 650 or 700 I'm seeing a 7950X for 600 I don't know. I mean, right now, you'd say the 13900K slightly wins gaming over the 7950X. It's single digits, usually low single digits. It even loses in some games, but it wins in multi-threading a little. I mean, I don't know. The 7950X is 600. I I mean, I'd say if the 14900K is any more than 600, I just don't see why it would make that big a difference. And the KS... Same thing against the 7950X3D. The 7800X3D is now pretty regularly $400. And that's what going to be, what will that be viewed as a competitor to then the i7? Pretty much, but the i7 with 20 cores is going to absolutely mutilate it in multi-threading, of course. Yeah, and I do think the that some multi-threading. Is, you know, it depends actually what type of multi-threading you're talking about. But I, I think that is where things, uh, where the value really will stand out is something like the fourteen, the i seven fourteen seven hundred F. It 
clocked at 5.4 gigahertz using 65 watts if it actually hits that with eight core uh p cores that will be a really good gaming cpu i think and what will i don't be? know the i think like the i7 14700s will be really i good think that'll probably CPUs. be priced at 450 yeah i think it, but if, like, i the think four- if it can get to just at least trey blows with the 7800 x3d and then of course mutilated and multi-threading i think that can be a pretty solid chip yeah or the 14700 f the no gaming one that's no integrated clocked. graphics no graphics yeah not gaming no graphics with slightly lower clock speeds that would probably be a killer at like 400 or something mm-hmm. but that's where it's gonna have to be and you know I don't know. I don't remember where I heard this recently or who I was talking to, but like it was emphasized to me, like, keep in mind Ryzen, like Intel's margins are in the gutter. Intel, like retailers don't even get to make money on them anymore because Intel squeezed them out and mm-hmm. basically just hopes they carry Intel products to get people to buy other stuff. <laughs> Meanwhile, AMD is just making 20, 40 or more. I mean, it might be more percent margins <laughs> on these Ryzen chips. You got to wonder if they consider 14th gen a threat. They just go, all right. 16 cores now 500 the 12 cores now 400 it already has been below that before and the x3d eight cores now 350 or 300 it's just it is such a weird thing where it's almost the opposite of what we see in graphics where like amd is setting the price to whatever they want and they can undercut if they want to and it's really if intel's the one trying to go as low as they can in margins but is not in the driver's seat I mean, yeah, when you have something like the 7800X3D on the market that just dominates price performance, it's really hard to have a lineup that. <laughs> it's really hard to have a, a, an appealing gaming lineup. I mean, I think Intel, for people that ha- have a productivity and gaming system, Intel becomes something more more uh, tantalizing versus AMD and there's probably more of a discussion to be had there, but for just gaming, it's like, I, I don't even feel like there's a discussion. It's just get a 7800 X3D if you're going for all-out performance or get something cheaper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't... Any other thoughts on the Meteor Lake one about their Core Ultra 9? The name's fun, I guess. Not too much, though. I mean... You mean the fun in our sarcastic way. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. The, the name is fun. Uh, like how you're changing your branding for some reason in a weird muddled way. I don't know if the ultra thing is the thing they're going to try doing in the future, but the CPUs like themselves look good. I suppose for laptops. All right. Let us then continue the Intel train with story number six. New Meteor Lake and Granite Rapids details confirmed by Intel with shiny pictures. Quote in here from video cards with a little bit of tweaks to the writing. Intel has unveiled a series of articles and videos that delve into the company's journey towards developing more complex packaging solutions for its current and upcoming products. Among the featured devices were Granite Rapids, Sierra Forest, and Bonavecchio. However, Besides pointing out that Intel confirmed the core counts leaked by Moore's Law said regarding Granite Rapids, that is to say, maximum of 130 cores, but likely disabled on 128, now confirmed again. A high point of the showcase was that 
was that a Meteor-like processor was shut out because it had on-package memory. According to an Intel website article, the company is actively exploring the possibility of integrating LPDDR5X memory from Samsung directly into the processor package. As indicated by the memory label, this integrated memory would boast 16 gigabytes of LPDDR5X at 7500 specifications, delivering a potential bandwidth of up to 120 gigabytes per second. This surpasses the capabilities of DDR5 5200 or 6400 that is currently employed in most mobile laptops. It also saves a ton of space. The concept of expanding memory capacity for CPUs isn't new, but Intel has lagged behind in terms of multi-die and memory advancements compared to competitors like AMD and Apple. Apple's M1 and 2 silicons, for example, bear a striking resemblance to what Intel showed off today with their on-package LP uh, DDR5X memory. The package showcase is a smaller variant designed for ultra-low power systems like operating within a range of 91 to 28 watts. And indeed, it must be highlighted, though, that this only was stated as being a concept, not something promised to be productized short-term. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then I wanted to add on to the Granite Rapids thing because they finally showed these shiny pictures of Granite Rapids that I think look really cool. But we now know the die sizes. And I'm just going to go up a list of things of die size here, people. Sienna. 687 millimeters squared of silicon. Bergamo, 978. Genoa, 1,192. Genoa X, which means just putting the V-cache on top of all of it, we're including it. 1,561. Turin Dense with 192 cores launching uh, early next year, supposedly. 1,400 millimeters squared. Turin, 1,650. Turin X, so 128 cores with gigabytes of cache. 2,000 millimeters squared. Granite Rapids, 2,276. And no one I talk to thinks that Intel's node is any cheaper than if they just went to TSMC. So I don't know. I just think this is worth pointing out because that means Turin Dense has almost half the silicon of Granite Rapids while having 50% more cores. <sighs> Hopefully there is a buyer for that finds this useful. I mean, I... <laughs> It sounds expensive as hell, and if Intel is still behind on their technology, I just don't know what they do. At the, or the performance for the, the die size of their technology, I just don't know what they do, because this is, obviously it's multi-die at this point, so it hopefully isn't absurdly expensive, but uh, this can't be cheap by any means. I mean, I think it probably costs twice as much as, you know, turn dense. Honestly, yeah, that makes sense. Twice as much, and AMD has fifty percent more cores. It's I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and keep in mind AMD's launches first, so Intel's going to enter in this market. Like, hey, here's this thing that uses more energy, costs twice as much, and is worse. Who wants it? I know you've been buying AMD for six months. Yeah, I know. It's it's just one of those cycles where I, I just don't know how Intel breaks out of it to reach parity again with AMD. Yeah, I mean, Diamond Rapid, Granite Rapids is supposed to tie them. We'll have to see that performance per core then. And uh, Diamond is supposed to be better uh, at everything. But I, <laughs> I, again, it's one of those things where it's like, I leak what I leak. But at a certain point, I do have to see it to believe it. Um, the only other thing I wanted to say is, I don't know, is there much to say about the Meteor-like thing with memory on die? I mean, we've honestly seen it before. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like they might be trying to get into their own handheld steam deck competitors but 
Right, because I don't know how much this is needed to save space on like 14-inch thin and lights. No, this would you would want this to go into, I feel like, 12 inches or smaller. Yeah, to right? really make a difference. I agree. Um, Sands writes in, if there's an Arrow Lake refresh, would it make sense to have the first i9 be an 8 plus 16 next year, and then when they have the 8 plus 32 die ready, shift down the lineup and have the 8 plus 16, 8 plus 24, be i7, and so on, so they can say they have two big generational jumps in a row in one year? Um, I think it's all going to come out, uh, depend on when they're ready. You know, I've leaked that there's the 8 plus 32 air light coming. So no hyper threading, just eight big cores and then 32 little cores. But that, that was basically reactivated when they decided they couldn't get hyper threading working for the performance they wanted on air Lake. And so it's not probably coming out until maybe a year after the 8 plus 16 model, which it all depends. Like if the 8 plus 16 air Lake dies and below are ready, let's say, Six months from now. Like, what if it's ready quarter two next year and they can do at least a paper launch? Then I would suggest making the 8 plus 32 a new generation and just refreshing with, like, better binning. Uh, But if Arrow Lake ends up coming out quarter three and the 8 plus 32 is going to come out quarter one, I recommend calling the 8 plus 16 an i7. And this is something I don't... Maybe I'm just a a freaking idiot. But, like, when I see... And I might do a video talking about this idea. Like, NVIDIA call a 180-millimeter squared GA106 die, the 4060Ti, and then try to sell it for four or $500. I don't get how that benefits them more than saying, no, this is a 4060 for 400 like, so, I don't know. Then, <laughs> like, how does that... Be- like, why call the 4070 the 4070 when you can call it the 4060Ti? Then you can say your 4060Ti beats the 7800 XT. Why, why call the 4080... Like, why not have there have been a two-slot version of the 4080 that's clocked a little lower for 900 and call that the 4070 Ti? And some people would go, mm-hmm. well, what are you talking about? Like, why would you? Well, because doesn't AMD look even dumber if they're selling a $900 70 Ti versus their $1,000 XTX? I don't know. That's what I wonder with Intel, too. But if I had to guess, if they're actually a year apart, yeah, they're just going to call them both i9s. I, uh, yeah, well... Once again, the performance at the end of the day is what will speak uh, to if it's a good product or not. But yeah, I I think it will be a tough sell saying, hey, there's eight fewer threads now, but we're still calling this an i9. We'll see, though. If it it handily beats their eight, uh, their, what is this, 24 core, 32 threads, uh, if it handily beats it, who really cares? But... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and if it beats everything AMD has, then I guess you can call it an i9. But um, I still just go like, why not reserve the nine for when it really matters? Kind of like you know, AMD used to have the black edition, and then everything was a black edition. Who cares? <laughs> and you know, uh, there were to- there was a Sapphire said they didn't want to put Toxic on the name of a card unless they thought it would actually do something special. And I just wonder, like, is that is that something everyone decided didn't actually ever help? Because I. I don't, I don't, I like, why is like an eight core rocket like called an I nine? Why, why ruin the I nine brand? It should be extreme. Yeah, I know. I don't, I don't know, Tom. But, uh, <laughs> all right. Well, those are all of the main stories. And I think we can now safely move on to the wrap up. These are these stories that I think are worth mentioning, but they don't deserve a whole lot of conversation or their own story. Uh, Raichu apparently leaked something called Twin Lake. I haven't asked anyone about it. I just thought I'd include it here as the successor to Alder Lake N, which if I remember correctly, 
Alder Lake N is kind of like the successor to those Amber Lake products that, yeah, this is something that like is, I think like two plus four or something like, so I guess there might be something called Twin Lake that is a successor to Alder Lake N, which I guess I don't know what that would be because my understanding is Lunar Lake is four plus four. So it must be real small then. Yeah, I will say. For some reason, I can't look at this tweet because Raichu has tweet pri- uh, privated his Twitter account. What? <laughs> yep, I don't Not know. Not for me. I maybe guess because he's following. He's following me. Maybe there's. Maybe there's. There is something I've seen with some Twitter people where like certain tweets only certain people that they know on Twitter can follow them. Oh, okay. So Dan, you're not cool enough. So um, not. but uh, let me, I was I was wondering if you were going to say blocked you. I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, the I, amount of people I know that randomly block people on Twitter. I think I have tweeted a total of one time with my Twitter account, and never about anything related to this. My Twitter account is solely a lurking one. So. Yes. Um, additionally, Yuki Sa- Yuki Ons, which you already brought up for another thing, uh, alleges that Venice uh, goes uses SP7. No real surprise. Remember, Venice is the um, Zen 6 epic architecture exclusively leaked, again, by this channel. Um, apparently uses SP7 and has 16-channel memory. I wouldn't say any of that is a surprise, but I think this, really for me, the biggest thing worth pointing out is that this just further confirms my Venice codename. If I remember correctly, someone else like Kepler has already said that, though, too, publicly, so I don't know. Um, let me see here. Oh, die shots of Phoenix 2, or Little Phoenix are out, showing the 2 plus 4 layout, Zen 4 plus Zen 4C. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, don't have much to add, but cool to look at if you guys want to see little phoenix which it's weird because like amd doesn't talk about little phoenix even though it's clearly in a bunch of products oh yeah i know <laughs> like that z1 not extreme the z1 apu is probably little phoenix or oh, i think it's okay. confirmed to now but they just won't say it i don't know why um i don't know if you saw this dan this came out actually at right after the last episode but there are several gpu manufacturers looking at trying to have a new standard out there for powering up to 600 watts without needing a single power cable on your graphics card. I mean, if that became a standard, oh, I see how it works. I mean, that would be cool if that became a standard. I, I There's like an additional PCIe looking thing at the end yeah. of the slot that it plugs into. Hmm. The reason I would... I, I just imagine this probably wouldn't get adapted as a standard is, so what? Would you would probably need an additional few pins for the uh motherboard 24 pin thing to power mm-hmm. this? I, I, I guess, I guess Maybe yeah, I'm that's wrong. probably what you would do is you just power it directly through the motherboard with a uh, bunch of eight pins or something. So, GPU manufacturers, motherboard manufacturers, and power supply manufacturers would all need to get behind on a new standard, which hey. I'm all for it. <laughs> it if, would if it we would, never have to do this again, we can just plug in a card. I would agree. It would reduce, yeah, it would reduce clutter and a lot, and it would make building stuff simpler. So I'm all for it, but we'll see. Yeah, that's a good point, though. You're kind of just asking them to spend money on other things that they still have to do, anyways. So seems unlikely that they'll actually go with this. Um, all right, here's another thing. Here, apparently, Intel's just added a boatload of adware to their Arc drivers. <laughs> sending telemetry including to ad partners it's not just like oh for like it clearly states that they are bundling and selling this to ad partners no, or no tom this is the compute improvement program we're doing this for you 
Oh, I forgot. Intel's always pro consumer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I guess just an FYI, if you buy an A770, you're buying a Adware. glorified ad bot uh, to be put into your PC that can't even run. Starfield, as the other thing in the wrap-up points out, where someone asked about their bad performance on the A770 and Bethesda customer support directly said it doesn't meet minimum performance requirements. Goodbye. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there are some people them. like, you know, Bethesda you know, this, this is bad that they don't support it. And it's like, well, I mean, look, Bethesda's not the best with, you know, but th- this directly flies in the face though of like AMD, any performance issues, like, like, uh, uh, you know what? Let me just skip any of those debates and just point it out again. <laughs> I told you guys the A770 is a horrible buy. It is a horrible buy. It will not be future proof because it has a lot of RAM. The cards aren't supported. They're not going to be supported because there's no volume and because no one got them. So just, I'm telling you, do not get in it. I, I just, it's a public service announcement because there's this weird thing. We have this mindless cheerleading uh, with a lot of the tech press. Yeah. It is a horrible purchase, and you are telling your fans horrible advice if you tell them to buy an art card. It is bad advice, and it is anti consumer to tell your people to buy something that doesn't work. Um, all right. And then there's the Lenovo Legion Go. Yeah, it seems like so. There's a Lenovo handheld gaming PC here. Um, I mean handheld uh, PC gaming, a handheld PC, <laughs> a handheld gaming PC. I'm getting tired, I guess. Uh, it's just funny because I don't know that I have much to say about it. It seems like it's trying to out ROG Ally, the ROG Ally, with a few new features, basically beating it in specs a little bit at everything and having these AR glasses you can use. Everyone's making a handheld gaming PC now, aren't they? Yep. I mean, that's the new market that people think uh, might get big. I don't personally think it will, but eh. More options is good. Hopefully Lenovo's version of the ROG Ally is, has fewer of the issues that the ROG Ally has. So, Which I'm yeah. just calling it their version because it's, from what I can tell, practically the same thing. <laughs> but... Yeah. And then I also saw there was another one coming. I don't remember if it was by Ieno or which it's like I think it's a Chinese handheld gaming company, but it's gonna have a 54 watt mode. Uh so that you can beat the ROG Ally by a substantial margin. And it has like an hour battery life, but it still has like an hour at that mode because it is like double the battery capacity or something or fifty percent mm. more. Like it has a laptop battery pack, like a big laptop battery pack in it. Um, I, I still think the, the thing I would want if I ever considered one of these <clears throat> put little Phoenix at 12 Watts or less or like five Watts in a PSP go size thing. I'm never going to want to play a battlefield 2042. So just make it so it runs Minecraft and everything easier to run for hours in something that actually fits in my pocket. But you know, I, I digress. I've made that point many times. Um, speaking of handheld gaming, uh, Nintendo Switch 2 rumors continue. So I don't, I, I scanned through some of the latest, uh, Switch 2 rumors because, you know, Papa Pause writes in and asks, the Switch 2 APU and new Valve APU rumors, uh, have come out, uh, and have been talked about by a lot of channels this week. Have you heard anything about them? I'd love to hear your speculation on what sort of performance level these could target. Well, supposedly recently Intel, or in, Nintendo behind closed doors was showing off the Matrix Awakens Unreal Engine 5 demo yeah, yeah. on the Switch 2. 
and it had built-in DLSS working as I believe leaked by me and a dozen other people that DLSS 2 is going to be an essential part of it. It still seems to be like the consensus rumor, which I believe is what our opinion is as well, based on what I've heard from my sources, is that we'll use some version of that Orion SOC, which is an well, Ampere-based. Okay, yeah, yeah. They're probably going to go with the 8 nanometer one, um, because, you know, why would Nintendo use the new the newest thing? Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I would assume this thing's going to be probably well let me think about relative performance here yeah i mean i think it's going to be probably a little weaker than the ps4 pro like in between that and the ps4 and performance mm-hmm. but it'll have built-in dlss so if if they give it 16 gigabytes of ram or more i think it will be able to play the same games as the ps5 if they give it eight gigabytes i don't <laughs> and there will be a handful of games that can run, and most of them are going to have the same issues the original Switch had. Just remember, a lot of people I've talked to going, hope they give it 16, Tom, but I don't know. Would it be that surprising if they went with 8? You know. So I don't know that I have that much to add about this. Did you look around at any of these rumors? Uh, as far as I can tell, there was one guy that built a speculative dev kit, so I don't know what that means, but his name oh, is... that's happened twice. His name is um, Austin. Oh, Austin Evans, which I've, I've heard of him before. Uh, but uh, that's not really a rumor. So <laughs> that's just a guy having fun, I think. And I then, think that happened a while ago, too. And then a rumor f- has started from a YouTube channel uh, that <laughs> that will have 16, 12 to 16 uh, Lovelace compute units or SMs. But we can cut it out. It's a shitty channel, so... <laughs> Okay, so there's nothing. (laughs) There's not really that much new. There's nothing that credible out there. No. Oh, okay. I don't know. I just thought we'd look into some of this. I believe that you know, if a bunch of developers saw it behind closed doors, I believe them. But I'm not going to get into someone just pulling rumor speculation. Yeah, yeah, and then calling it a leak. So I know I stand by what I've said. You know, it's obvious. I know that uh, Copite when he used to do good leaks, he had something about it, uh, like how it was like some, I forgot it already, like the T two thirty nine thing. And, you know, Mm -hmm. next to that, you know, you could see it was like some custom version of the Ampere APU. Most likely I heard it could have some Lovelace enhancements in it, but I don't really know anymore because I haven't paid attention to it. I I stand by it. You know, guys, this is probably going to be stronger than a PS four. It'll have built in DLSS. I would not bet on it being better than the, even the PS4 Pro or Series S, really. And teraflops, it might be the same as the Series S, to be clear, or a little better. But remember, Ampere teraflops are not the same as RDNA yeah. 2. So, I don't know. Not much else to say. Right? Most of what I said in my, my, my Switch leak, I think, from like 2021, is probably going to stand up. Um, except that it's probably more Ampere-based than Lovelace. Although, some devs mentioned Lovelace in it, so... All right, let us now move on to a couple reader mails to round out the episode. And I do like this question, actually. QH Freddy writes in, is Navi 23 and 33 considered mid-range in your opinion? And my answer is Navi 23, which goes up to the 6650 XT. And certainly when it came out in 2021, the 6600 XT... I think that was mid-range. I think lower mid-range. The 6700's Navi 22, right? Not XT. Yeah. 6700. Okay. 
Yeah, that, that's fair to call mid-range. I would say... Well, the, when it came out, pretty soon it's getting close uh, to low end, though. Yeah. I, I mean, I would argue the 6700 XT at this point is the bridge between mid-range and low end, so... Yeah, I'd say it's lower mid-range. And I think at the time, Navi 23, when it launched, was definitely mid-range, but on the lower part of mid-range. I mean, this was a card that in 1080p was like 10% behind the 3060 Ti. This was a card that in 1080p thrashed it, did well in 1440p. But, you know, now it's 2023. You know, it's two years later, over two years, I think. 8 gigabytes is looking long in the tooth. And Navi 33 is a follow-up that is a smaller die size than 23. Slightly smaller, but it is smaller. And they're both, and they're both uh, 32 compute units, right? Yep, and it's a 6-nanometer yeah. card in a 5-nanometer world. So I think Navi 23 was mid-range, but on the lower end of it. Navi 33 is the bridge between low and mid-range. But yeah, I, I would it, say, it is, though. And it launched me, for a lower price, too. Let's be honest. The 7600, I, I, I would guess there's probably going to be one card below the 7600 that launches still. because 7500 XT, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah because I, I would be surprised if there isn't a disabled version of Navi 33 that comes out. Unless there's just absurdly high yields and they literally don't have to disable it, ever. But I would suspect something is going to come out with that, so... Navi 33 is probably the lowest end die to come out for Lovelace or RDNA 3. So, yeah, it's definitely low end. <laughs> right. And it's like a 200 millimeter squared die in a five nanometer world, but it's six nanometer. The 4060 is like 150 millimeter squared or 140 something. You know, so let's just keep in mind what I, this means. <clears throat> yeah, I think the 4060 is also low end. Yeah. Like, uh, well, yeah. 60 is low end, 4060 Ti is basically low end too. Um, it's below eight, it's 180 millimeters squared, you know? Yeah. I think these cards are low end, you know, I, and I think that I'm consistent. I call the 7,800 XT mid range, right? So Navi 33 is low end, 4060 is low end. You're not getting a mid range card for cheap. The 4060 is a low end card. I want to call them entry. I wouldn't say they're entry level well, like entry- the 6,400 is, but they will be in a year. And entry level is the 3060 and like, well, I'd still say that's low end. Yeah, uh, entry level is old cards at this point. But there, uh, new, new, new entry level cards aren't coming out anymore. You're not getting, you're not getting seven seven fifties or six fifties anymore that are from like uh, the days of yore in like 2014. No, no, it, it, like the 6400 that was entry level, I guess. But you know, still is you know. And if they replace that with something. Uh, I don't really think they will, though. I think there's just going to be APUs moving forward. Yeah. yeah, or APUs are just the new entry level is probably a better way to put it. Yeah, so, um, and to answer your question, QH Freddy, we think the 7800 XT is mid-range. We think the 4070 is mid-range. We don't think they're high-end. And we think the Navi 23 was mid-range for the time, but lower mid-range. And now we're in a 5 nanometer world where they have the 33 card still on 6 with a similar die size at this point. I think it's low end, maybe upper low end, lower, the lowest of mid range. I don't know, but I think it's low end. And the 4060 and 4060 Ti are low end as well. They just are, especially the eight gigabyte models. Um, and, call, and again, that's where I go back to the thing I brought up earlier in this episode. So why not just call the 4060 the 4050? Like, is, would it, it sell is a 4050. So. I know. Like, why? Like, but why play the mind games? Like, I wouldn't it look better if NVIDIA had a 4050 that beat the 7600? You could say your low end card beats their mid range. Like, why is it? I don't know. Why call I don't, it something else? I don't get it. I, I, I don't understand what good ga- not gaming, good naming is anymore to any, to 
the, the broader market or to the people that are making the names. I don't know what people will find acceptable or what a marketer thinks looks good anymore. I have no yeah. clue. All right, Raphael writes in, he says, Hey, Tom, as I understand it, some of AMD's recent success was using TSMC nodes left in the wake of Apple spending. Right, this is something talked about by Daniel Nenny extensively. Apple comes in, they make the first five nanometer chip, or the first like seven, then five, then AMD swoops in as TSMC's second best partner and buys up all the capacity. But that's the idea, so continuing his question. Um, if so, it seems like gamers will benefit from an AI boom with additional spending for node development, but it may take a few years to play out and we may never know what the alternative reality would have been. And it may be a rough patch until we get there as well. Do you think that's how it will play out anywhere on what products will get the newest node at TSMC? Um, I don't know. I, I think, um, AI is saving the Silicon market a little bit right now. Mm. Um, but there's always something they're using silicon for, to be fair, you know? Well, oh, yeah. I, I, I guess Apple didn't buy the newest node this year, correct? Or something like that? I, I think they might use it for, like, one of their chips soon. Not okay. the last gen, but the upcoming one. Okay. So, I mean, I, I don't know why that would continue to change that much, but... <laughs> I agree. I think, um, you know... We'll never know the alternative reality if literally no AI boom happened. Although there's still a huge compute boom going on in general, so I don't mm-hmm. know that I buy that's really an argument. But if there was no AI boom, would no development have slowed down? And it's like, n- no. Ah, my gut answer is no. I think they'd have just charged less so gamers can use it. <laughs> I, some of it is actually that much more spe- expensive to make. So card prices are going up. They are. But I think if it wasn't for AI, they may have gone up less. Or, mm. at a, or, or you know, there's two ways to look at it. It seems like that's NVIDIA's solution. AMD's might be trying harder to make it cost-effective. We'll have to see what RDNA 4 brings. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really have anything else to add to that question. And that is all of the stuff we had to get to in this episode. Any other thoughts, Dan? No, I don't think so, brother. Well, now, as I always say, I have to go make dinner, but now I will go downstairs and start dinner for both of us. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Okay, Well, thank you, everybody, for (laughs) watching and listening to this episode of Broken Silicon. Remember to subscribe to Broken Silicon, your podcast app of choice. If you were listening on Stitcher, go to Apple Podcasts now or Pocket Cast or whatever and listen to Spotify. It's actually, we're unsurprisingly, a lot of people listen to us now. and go there and give us a review again, please. Yeah. You know, those reviews really do help, by the way, in the podcast apps is that helps us get noticed uh, in circles that aren't YouTube, which we do have like a third or I don't know. Now it's mostly YouTube again. It ebbs and flows. But I remember a couple of years ago, it was like a fourth of our new fans were just they saw us on a podcast app, not YouTube. So remember to do that there. But also, of course, subscribe to Moore's Law is Dead on YouTube as well and ring the bell button. And of course, support us on Patreon. A new two-hour Die Shrink episode came out where me and a uh, contributor to Moore's Law said Carbon Cry talk about interesting things like why NVIDIA's architecture is better at ray tracing, what AMD needs to do with RDNA 4 to fix that, and so on and so forth. So if you like this, there is a new ad-free Die Shrink out there. $2 a month will get you access to it. And those never have ads. You also, at other twos, get Broken Silicon early and ad-free. Billy asks me questions, ask guest questions. Guys, we're not even asking for a cup of coffee. Please support us on Patreon if you have the extra money. Uh, and those there's video versions too. It's not just audio. 
there as well. But uh, I guess that's all I have to say. Again, thanks for watching and listening, and uh, have a good week, everybody. Goodbye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, it's not just me. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, renders being done by the industrial designer Jean-Philippe Clermont, and special assistance is also provided by Carmen Cry and Carrie Nosugad as well. Find all of our information at www.moreslawisdead.com on the about slash support page in the event you do want to hire me for consulting work, hire Gerard for audio work, hire Jean-Philippe for industrial design work, or you're interested in working with Carbon Cry or Kerry No Sugata as well. You can also find our long-term sponsors on that page if you want to show them some love for putting food on our tables. Or you can also mail us some love. You can send letters or hardware donations to the following address. Moore's Law is Dead, P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. Although, to be honest, the best way to show Moore's Laws Dead some love is to support us on Patreon. Patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content truly possible. Every month and really every day, depending on who you're talking about, me, Gerard, Dan, and John Philippe are working tirelessly to provide a steady stream of content that we could not keep doing unless we knew the work was possible without being reliant on sponsors dictating every little thing we put out. Don't get us wrong. We love our sponsors, but we love directly working for you, our fans, much more. If you have any extra money, even a couple free dollars a month, consider supporting us directly on Patreon. Those couple of monthly dollars will get you access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to ask guests questions, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who I am sure would love to meet you. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to early, ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the ability to ask questions in all Broken Silicon episodes and loose ends live streams ahead of the recording, and the entire back catalog of Moore's Law is Dead podcasts, in addition to having thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts depending on the tier with other perks available as well. And hey... If you cannot afford to support us directly every month, please do share Moore's Law is Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family and on social media and websites like Reddit. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app of choice. All of this does really help us so much. But like I said, this podcast would not be possible without it. the patrons directly providing predictable and reliable support every month. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher supported levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Foles, Egypt, Daniel D, Christopher Ricks, Aaron Close, Jan Renner, Daniel Hyde, Jeezy Ziggy, Brian Riggleman, MJB1, Sam Miller, Deke, SNES Chalmer, Jerem Ferriera, Valcom Alev, Nicholas Buckner, Andrew S, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Gregory Sacker, Sarcastro, Evan Dingle, Greg G. Wanchek, Chris Rich, 3DS Boy08, Hal Buma, Hardforum.com, Compressed Earth Blocks, Shredbird, Dr. Foreman, Benjamin Cannon, Jonathan, Blake, Franco Frederick, Jake223, Jake Martin, Holden Mobley, Slicky, Christopher A. Butler, Sammy Malas, Stephen Hart, Mead and Porks, Tim Robb, Jordan Simkovic, 
Ian Clifford, Travis Gooding, Julian Leaked, The Boss Haas, Nanian, Deepest Learners, Stefan, Mad, Zutsu Taylor, Stefan Coates, Michael McGee, Greg, Patrick Crow, Amiable Chief, Tommy, Mark Mitchell, Roger Davies, I Should, Mark Raidmaker, Cameron, James Anderson, Golo Addict, Judson N, Cameron, Wesley Sager, Henry Zhang, Michelle Pell, D31337 Antics, Chrysantine, The Eternal Dreamers, Nath Rizink, Hexapuma, Reginald Ari, T. Cottom, Jackson Miller, JSMMH, Colin Tadards, Game and Sense Reagan, Jeff Seller, Loophole 35, Winstar, James I. Raider, Corey Leon, Little Germany, Shay, Pulse Media, Dave Schultz, Melodic Warrior, Mac Daffy, Stephen Dick, Chuck Glennon, Brett Jones, Austin Haggerty, Justin Bustle, I-711-700K, K, Foot, Toka, Hardland, Slushboss, C2, Jamie Whitworth, Jansen, Angima, Joseph Kelly, David Sebastian, Samuel Park, Earth Taurus, Keith Moore, Himsa Gung, Tails2299, Me, Val Verga, John, Sifos, Venti CZ, The Forbidden Juice, Perlichtman, RB Racer, AC, Lord Starstream, Michael Cozy, Dr. J Mad, Alex Vega, Vreedy, Brian Wright, John Swin, Rodin BC, Winwing, Jola Martina, Kikum, Elbert Gunn, Solar, Solarized 80, Trevor, Renfro, Yeti, Thalo215, Matthew Marlowe, Racing Biscuit, Jevin, Jeff Johnson, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs>